0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. i want to call the meeting of Monday, February 12, 2024, to order at 1.31 uh, p.m. Uh, we'll begin with the proclamation of Government Communicators Day 2024. by uh, Ms. Bernadette McCraney, we're going to be working together on making this happen and doing this properly. All right, so would you like council to come down, ma'am? Mighty fine. All right, council, let's go down. One thirty-one. Right, right. Okay, you singing? Oh, sure. Okay, go for it. All
1: right. Awesome. Everyone, go ahead and come on up.
2: All all
1: right. thank you everyone we just wanted to take a moment to recognize our um, communicators in the city we want to thank council for all your support um, towards our efforts to help inform our residents um, a lot of and thank our team a lot of the folks that you see up here are um, folks that have other duties as assigned and so we appreciate all your hard work that you do in your regular jobs as well as wanting to help inform our residents of All the great things that are going on
0: in Mansfield all right thank you ma'am and to all of you great communicators communicating sales all right so it's a proclamation by the mayor of the city of Mansfield Texas whereas the role of the government communications communications professions is to inform educate and engage their communities and whereas robust communication is uh, in government creates trust and inspires residents to take action and be involved. And whereas government communications uh, create a relationships, call to action, build awareness and understanding through storytelling, engage and foster engagement on civic issues, and use all channels to include people in critical decisions, and uh, whereas it is essential to have strong communications in government because it is a foundational element of living in a democracy where citizens have the freedom to make their voices heard. And whereas the city of Mansfield is proud and has deep gratitude and recognition for government communicators, uh, professionalism, dedication, hard work, commitment, enthusiasm, and sacrifice. Whereas government uh, entities around the nation have established the inaugural Government Communicators Day in 2024. Now, therefore, our Michael Evans, uh, Mayor of the City of Mansfield, joined with the members of the City Council, Mansfield City Council, to proclaim February 24, 2024, as Government Communicators Day in the City of Mansfield and encourage residents to thank the staff who have dedicated their careers to ensure the city has effective, impactful, and successful communication strategies to resonate and are relevant so thank you all very much let's have a round of applause for these good people all right we're going to line up on our mark here come on communicate. Y'all, that's right. yeah there's your mark right there that's right hey buddy how you
3: doing man? There you go sir
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are in our work session phase discussion regarding downtown streetscape redesign. Uh, Matt Jones. Uh oh, excuse me. What happened? Oh, we are? Okay, good. And I've just been informed that we're going into executive session. So let's do that. So we will recess into executive session. Pursuant to section 551.071 Texas Government Code, the Council reserves the right to convene in executive sessions from time to time as deemed necessary during this meeting for any posted agenda item to receive advice from its attorney as permitted by law to discuss the following consultation with city attorney to seek advice about pending or contemplated litigation, a settlement offer, or on a matter in which the duty of the city attorney to the city's governmental body under the the Texas disciplinary rules or professional conduct of the state bar of Texas clearly conflicts with chapter 551 of the Texas government code pursuant to section 551.071 seek advice of city attorney regarding pending litigation Calls number 348-270155-14 seek advice of our city attorney regarding uh, a uh, veterans memorial seek advice of our city attorney regarding legal issues pertaining to economic development Projects listed in Section 3D of the agenda. Uh, B, discussion regarding possible purchase, exchange, lease, or value of real property pursuant to Section 551.072, land acquisition for future development. C, personnel matters pursuant to Section 551.074. D, deliberation regarding commercial or financial information received from or the offer of a financial or other incentive made to a business prospect seeking to locate, stay, or expand in or near the territory of the city and with which the city is conducting economic development negotiations pursuant to Section 551.087, Economic Development Projects Numbers 21-26, 21-23, 22-04, 22-23, 20 20- 23-12 the council will now recess into executive session at 1 p.m. convened at uh, 2 13 p.m. and uh, we'll go into our work session ladies and gentlemen discussion regarding downtown streetscape redesign
4: Matt Jones. Mm-hmm. Thank You mayor council uh, we are very excited uh, today to present this item uh, for your consideration um, you know Main Street is, is very special to the city of Mansfield it's a heartbeat of the town uh, so reinvesting in the historic downtown is always something uh, that, that will uh, take in stride and make sure that we do the right thing uh, we do have a, a few people here uh, with us today um, we have Stantec uh, Jason with Stantec Uh, He'll be presenting as well as Mr. Jeff Speck. And then Chris Dempsey uh, just welcomed a a newborn into the world. So he will not, I I do not think, be able to join us. Uh, But he is the other half of Speck and Dempsey. Uh, So Mr. Speck is available online via Zoom. Uh, There's a nor'easter blowing through Boston. And so he was not able to make it uh, down here with us today for other prior obligations. But he is with us virtually. And with that, I will hand it over to Mr. Speck and Jason.
5: Thanks, Matt. I just wanted to take a a quick moment to say hi. and very happy to be here. I'm Jason Schreiber, Senior Principal with Stantec based out of our Boston office. We've had the opportunity to work with your staff over the course of the last few months on what I hope you all find to be an exciting concept right now. We'll continue to work on details, but thought this would be the right opportunity to Run by where we're at. Um, I've been working with Jeff Speck and Chris Dempsey for several years now, and truly the visionary behind this idea, and going back much further than just my involvement over the last few months, is Jeff Speck, the author of Walkable City, and certainly somebody who I think has had some really good thought and visioning about how your community's future may look. Jeff, I think we can all hear you fine on screen, and I'll duck away while you carry us through for a little while. Does that work?
6: Thank you, Jason. Am I uh, a good volume, too loud, or too soft?
5: You sound great. Good volume.
6: Okay. Well, hi, everyone. Uh, Jason said he was very happy to be there. I'm very happy to not be there, (laughs) only because um, we have a storm blowing through tomorrow, and I have some Uh, that would have made Jason's headed off to Saskatoon after this presentation. He can explain what that means. Um, But I was due back in Boston for some presentations on Wednesday that I would miss if uh, I flew back on Wednesday, which is what I was going to have to do. So I very much appreciate uh, your flexibility in allowing me to present virtually. um, Flashbacks to COVID days and uh, I'm glad that's behind us, but this will be Uh, tag team between uh, me and Jason. Uh, I'm going to start us off, and then, uh, as is often the case, uh, I'll focus more on the big picture, and then Jason and Stantec, who I've worked with on probably a dozen projects like this over the years, um, will be getting more into the details. So, um, uh, we have been working very hard. I'm excited to be presenting this in Mansfield, which is a city with which Uh, I feel we have a stronger relationship than most of our other municipal clients uh, in the sense that I've been coming to to the city now for several years that I think you've broken the record in terms of the number of people who have attended my uh, class at Harvard, which I teach every summer. Maybe you'll send a few more this year. That would be great. Um, But uh, this is a community that doesn't need... Uh, me or Jason to go through the fundamentals that underlie uh, the design that we're gonna be uh, showing you today. Um, and it's been really wonderful working with, with Matt and with Kristen and the rest of your team. Uh, we had a very effective uh, meeting, as you know, in town a couple months ago. Uh, then we took it back into our offices, which led to the plan we're going to be, um, to be showing you today. Um, which some of your staff have already uh, reviewed and uh, put input in. And it's, it's been a, a nice collaborative process. So um, I was about to click the next button, but I understand that that is your uh, role. So if I could say next. Um, and we're going to start with something you know pretty well next, which is just the circumstances there on the street. We, we come to a lot of cities that have pretty much what you have uh, in their center, which is a five lane. Main Street that was once a two-lane Main Street uh, that's been widened over the years. Um, and it's a heck of a lot of asphalt. Uh, next. Uh, that results, uh, and I should say it's a, it's a, a very automotive uh, environment. As you know, it fills up quite frequently, and the uh, presence of cars is the dominant presence in the, uh, in the street. Next. Uh, the result of the widening of the street has been the narrowing of the sidewalks and the uh, condition that you have, particularly on the west side of the main street, where you have a grade change that's not insignificant. Uh, and so you have this two level sidewalk that has resulted in uh, much less usable space than would other, otherwise be the case. You'll also notice the absence of street trees on the sidewalk edge. There's only a few of them uh, over the length of, of main street. A few of them are good, uh, but there just aren't very many. Uh, Next, please. And uh, the sidewalk gets extremely narrow in certain locations. Next. Uh, But you'll notice that we feel like we're working with good bones here in the sense that the architecture is quite nice, quite distinctive. It feels like a wonderful Texas Main Street. And so actually the ingredients are all here with the street being remade. To have what you need to have to, to be a, a proper heart to Mansfield and in fact to the to the region next, <laughs> some some surprisingly difficult sidewalk conditions occur. Uh, we now know that uh, things like this won't be happening again and and can be remedied next. And then the main intersection between Main and Broad, and you're probably aware, uh, Mayor and Councilors, that we've been looking at both Main Street. Uh, for it's pretty much its full downtown length, and then Broad Street uh, for a couple blocks in each direction, but with the mandate from, from staff to, to truly uh, make a design for the area that we believe, if changed, will have the positive impacts that we want. So we were, we were given some flexibility in, in our collaboration to determine the study area, and we uh, we don't feel that the plan needs to expand beyond this um, uh, scheme that we're going to show you. Although we can talk a little bit later about how it might, uh, particularly east and west and broad, it might impact restriping that could occur. Uh, what we've been asked to present is a rebuilding scheme, um, which is a uh, you know a more dramatic but potentially much more impactful uh, change. Next. And then, you know, you, you've, you've proven yourselves quite adept at, uh, at the, the infrastructure, at the uh, construction, at making changes to the street. Uh, we know the rear-end parking is not popular and, and folks would like it to go away, and we're proposing that it goes away. Um, but we're pleased to see that you have the capacity to make construction changes fairly quickly. Next. And there's been investment in the placemaking in downtown and uh, uh, developing a sense of character along the main street. Next. And the businesses have... uh, Oh, and I should say, and and a focus on um, multimodal. And uh, part of our uh, our effort here was to be certain that uh, cyclists would be welcome passing through the downtown in the appropriate way. Next. Uh, We... Did manage to see some sidewalk life on Main Street while we were there in a particularly uh, mild day, and it's nice to see that you have folks in town who will respond to an amenitized uh, Main Street next. And the um, uh, the way that merchants have responded to the uh, to the changes that you made in the street as well have been uh, you know have been impressive. And the downtown is starting to get a there-there, right? It's, it's beyond the historic architecture. It's starting to develop uh, a sense of uh, social activity as well. Next. So this is a simple drawing of what the Main Street looks like right now. Uh, you've got some 12-foot lanes, some 11-foot lanes. You may recall, those of you who have heard me speak before, that a, a 10-foot lane is an appropriate width uh, for a downtown in terms of encouraging the sort of speeds that we want to see, next. And uh, we discussed a number of models as we were moving forward with this plan, next. One very uh, successful recent transformation of a downtown that some of you've seen is in Lancaster, California where our colleagues at Mulholland Polizoides took what was a five-laner, uh, almost identical to yours. In fact, almost the exact same right of way and almost the exact same amount of pavement and transformed it into this linear parking plaza that has trees in the center, as you can see. It has contrasting pavement in the center. Interestingly, the parking lanes are not contrasting pavement on the flanks. We uh, are doing another project, Jason and I, that's now almost completing construction in Hammond, Indiana, where we copied this section effectively. We did the, the flank parking in a contrasting pavement um, and it was a narrow right-of-way, so you only got one car diagonally in the center, not two. But this is a model that we really admire. On uh, farmer's market days and other celebratory days, the cars do not park there, and they put, um, uh, you know, um, tables and chairs and other things in the center and vendors, and it becomes a real celebratory axis. Next. So this is what that street looks like. Uh, it was impossible in our uh, in, in our Streetmix software to show you uh, the two conditions at once. So if you can flick back between this slide and the next slide, it's essentially a combination of these two things at once. It's a uh, you know double headed parking condition, and it's a plaza with trees in it. And they kind of take turns as you go down the street. So that's what that looks like in section. Next. And then another inspiration although again not exactly uh um uh applicable is Greenville South Carolina, Greenville's a city that is truly known thanks in part to its name as being extremely full of trees. If you look at an aerial of Greenville what you'll see is that it's pretty much just one street and it's uh this main street where um the famous landscape architect Lawrence Halprin did a design uh, in the probably in the 70s, uh, where these trees were planted. And you can see it's a double angle parking solution on the flank of the street. So you basically, if I can see the next two slides, you have two conditions. You have um, cars parked at an angle with trees in front of them. And then between the cars next, you have the condition of uh, a double alley of trees. And we were excited about this solution as well. Uh, however, um, you know we 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 want a solution that in that improves that adds the amount of on street parking to the downtown, but we don't feel we need to overdo it. Um, so we were excited about this Greenville model as ha- actually having parallel parking instead of angle parking, which would allow even more sidewalk and uh, uh, you know a better situation for the trees. Next, please. And then finally, we have the challenge that Jason will talk about at greater length of how to handle putting all these cars uh, through through the main intersection of main and broad. And the idea of potentially including a roundabout. Properly done, and this was my first sketch at the actual workshop, properly done a roundabout is a nice social walkable condition. Uh, There's lots of examples of roundabouts that are higher speed, and larger and actually wouldn't even fit in this uh, in this kind of intersection. But you have ample room for a properly designed modern roundabout, which is about 100 feet across. And if you handle the pavement properly, uh, it can be a, a very nice, calming environment. Trucks can get around it perfectly fine. And you can put something in the center that becomes a bit of a monument. In this drawing, you're also seeing something um, beyond the intersection, which is Was the suggestion that perhaps we could get the new development to the southwest that's to the lower left to pull back from the corner and create a green in that location that project is already well underway and this sort of change is probably unlikely Um, but having the roundabout in the center of course is an opportunity uh, for a a celebratory open space um, in the roundabout itself which is the center next so we're considering two alternatives, and we're presenting you both alternatives uh, for you to deliberate um, now and in the future <laughs> as to which you believe is the superior solution. Um, we feel that both solutions are good, uh, but we want you to understand that, that um, you know, we're gonna pick, you're going to pick one. Uh, we'd be happy to advise you further on that. Um, but we wanted to present you with a choice. Next. So this is the overall plan, and you're gonna have to tilt your head uh, because north is now to the left, but because of the configuration of the study area and of your screen uh, from here on, um, you're gonna be seeing mostly drawings which are rotated 90 degrees counterclockwise with north uh, and the bridge landing uh, at the end to the left. And what you see here was an attempt to, uh, not because we we couldn't pick, It wasn't because we couldn't make up our minds, but we thought it would be very exciting to take the Lancaster solution, which is what you see at the left and right extremes. Actually, once you get a block left, once you get a block north or a block south of uh, Broad Street, um, so a block left or a block right. Um, we begin to kick into the Lancaster solution. So when you're arriving from the north or from the south, the first thing that is presented to you is um, a really nice center median, so parked center median solution that is a really great kind of anchor for parking. And this is a, a nice diagram in the sense that the parking is throughout. There's parallel parking in the center segment. But the parking is throughout, but the real reserves of parking are towards the edges. And it's actually a great urban design strategy to put the, parkings, to put the parking spaces slightly off the center so that that creates um, a, uh, a, a location that is uh, giving and receiving pedestrians from the cars. So parking actually can serve as a really good anchor um, to a main street. So what you see happening here, if we start at the left, is people coming off the bridge being uh, instructed by the stripes in the road to slowly merge, the merge would not happen instantaneously, to slowly merge into a single lane southbound and they're receiving a single lane northbound. Um, that single lane then would be flanking the striped center that you see for parking. And that would, would stretch for a, quite a long block. Um, then in the subsequent block, the, uh, it would begin to narrow and the amount of parking available would reduce until the wedge is complete. And then for the final central block, which is the most urban with the best buildings, or really the central half block to be more accurate, um, you'd have very wide sidewalks, a double alley of trees, a narrow street with just two lanes of travel and uh, parking on both sides. Then that passes through, through, in this case, the roundabout, which is the intersection with Broad Street. A roundabout uh, handles a tremendous amount of traffic. So that's what allows this scheme, as it approaches the intersection, to be a two-lane scheme. One passes through the roundabout, heading heading south further, uh, and the same condition exists for the half block uh, beyond. And then it wedges out again. And you you can imagine someone arriving from either end and wanting to stop in downtown, probably waiting to see if they get one of those parallel spaces towards the center, So we call the teaser parking. And then if they fail to find a space in those two half blocks surrounding the Broad Street intersection, they would keep going and and find ample opportunity to park in the block or block and a half subsequent, uh, coming from either direction. Uh, Heading further south, you can see the reserve of parking in the center of the street, which is full of trees and lovely like Lancaster, continues. But then we were asked to continue the study um, uh, another block to so where you see the the end of this drawing and um here we have what what uh we planners refer to as a shift in the tra- a shift along the transect the transect is the uh is the kind of organization of the landscape from most urban to most rural and understanding that you're leaving the heart of downtown there's less demand for parking and there's also an opportunity to have a gateway now, coming from the north, the gateway is the bridge. Coming from the south, the gateway would be this block that you see towards the end of the drawing, which is uh, much greener. So it's the same configuration with a median and parallel parking on either side, but there's no parking in the center of the street, and there's uh, it's imagined as a much more kind of forested and and more rural condition. So kind of a, a you know a, a lovely green uh, passageway from the south into the downtown. Next. So now we're just going to zoom in and Jason's going to zoom in a little more. But what you see here uh, approaching from the north is a little more detail. That first block receives the bike lanes that are coming down alongside the bridge uh, and brings them a block south until they uh, transfer into the system that exists lateral to it. Um, So there's no parallel parking for that first block where there's many fewer businesses. Then the bike lanes leave the street. Uh, Bikes are invited to go lateral, and then you see parallel parking kicking in along the side of the street where it continues for the remainder of the plan. Let's zoom next, please. We'll zoom in a little more. Here you see a little more detail of the center Park median. Uh, You can see how it wedges down. You can see how there is uh, a mid-block crossing halfway down your main street where the shops are. That's at the right. Uh, the very right of this image kind of at the end of the wedge and the beginning of the wedge is creating a little refuge and protects that crossing Uh, honestly cars will not be moving quickly in this location and the need for protection is limited you see the parking is angled at 45 degrees you see that it's got trees in it and then it goes from two cars across uh to the north to the left uh, to eventually one car across and then just some trees in the center next Um, And then you see to the south, we're just zoomed in a little more uh, to this end where the reverse happens next. And then moving further east, you see the uh, central parking uh, transitioning into the more rural condition of trees and and a a garden condition. Uh, The the center of the road, we imagine, would not be uh, used, um, but would be decorated in a very uh, you know, garden-like way um, with shrubs and other ground surface features as well as the trees next. And that's just zooming in. You can see there's a, a meandering path shown in the middle, which, which might or might not be the, the proper solution. But <clears throat> the, um, the, the median is imagined primarily as a, as a visual feature for people driving in and out of downtown because there'd, be there'd be a bit less walking in this location. Next. Uh, And then the solution of the roundabout, which allows, as I suggested, the two lanes of travel. And here's where we now look to the top and the bottom and we look at Broad Street. And Jason will take you through the details in more detail. But the the nice width of Broad Street and the presence of the roundabout allowing for a two-lane configuration means that we can actually have a double LA of trees Uh, smaller trees flanking a bike facility which belongs in Broad Street. So Broad Street is a principal east-west biking corridor opportunity through the downtown. We see the opportunity just with paint to continue this bike facility almost continuously east and west, which is up and down in this slide. Um, But what you're seeing in this zoom-in is how the bike lanes wrap around the roundabout uh, a lot of more more conventional roundabouts uh have a create conflicts between bikes and cars that's not the case in this scheme where everyone has their own path um and you can see the use of the pattern pavers that we've also placed in the parking median we've also placed them in the roundabout um to beautify the space but also to encourage people to drive more slowly um you've also you can also see faintly. Uh, uh, what we're imagining is a, a fountain uh, in the center of the roundabout, which would be a feature that would terminate vistas, you know, that would, would draw your eye from distances far away to the north, south, east and west. So it's a great location for um, some sort of a piece of civic art. Next. Uh, and then you see here how you have the double alley of trees making a really beautifully uh, canopied sidewalk. Uh, approaching and the two-lane solution next and then this is the oh here's here's just a little more of a zoom into broad street i already i already uh, talked about this uh, detail but you see that there's parallel parking on on both sides then trees then bikes then trees then pedestrians on broad street next and then this is the design that's the alternative. If you do not have a roundabout, you can have a signalized intersection. The signalized intersection needs to have a left turn lane. Now, Jason's going to talk a bit about um, the traffic modeling, but we, we are presuming you know, a, a, a fair number of your trips through your downtown are cut throughs you know, that are neither originating nor terminating in Mansfield and they have the opportunity to take other paths, and they're not taking those other paths because this is their quickest way through. If the capacity of uh, the throughput of these streets is reduced slightly, uh, people will be making other choices, and the, um, you know, the experience we have through traffic modeling is that um, you know, the amount of congestion that one experiences at rush hour Tends to remain a constant because people change their change their paths. So you have some bad traffic now at rush hour. You're going to continue ha- to have uh, considerable traffic at rush hour. We 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 won't solve your traffic problem because we can't solve your traffic problem. Um, congestion is an equilibrium that people uh, accept because they choose to commute uh, at certain peak times and they choose to take this path, this cut through path, at certain peak times. We move forward with this project with the mandate that Mansfield wants to have a heart, that it wants to have a downtown that's worth arriving at and not just driving through, and that accomplishing that does mean a limited reduction in the throughput. In this case, without the roundabout, we didn't, did not want that to be a dramatic reduction in throughput, and so we are recommending a three-lane condition. So let's zoom in, next slide, let's zoom into that. And what you see here, it's the same plan a block north, a block south, a block east, a block west, it's the same plan. But the absence, what the absence of a roundabout does, and Jason will describe how it produces fairly similar outcomes to the roundabout, is you need that left-hand turn lane on all four approaches. So rather than having a two-lane section approaching the intersection, you have a three-lane section from all directions, um, and uh, the sidewalks are still wide enough to hold that double alley of trees, but you're losing about five feet of sidewalk on each flank um, and, and putting it into the roadway in that center turn lane. Next. That's just a zoom in showing the still parallel parking, still double alley of trees, um, but three lanes in each direction. Next. And just a broad street does the same thing now what happens with broad is that in this case it loses one flank of its parallel parking so whereas the other scheme had more parking on the north flank which is on the left um this scheme isolates the parking to the south flank and so what happens in in this particular uh three-lane configuration is you end up with a bit bit less parking in broad street now of course that parking also provides the benefit of calming traffic and you know, welcoming visitors. So it's it's um, it is a loss, but it's still a, I think a very nice uh, solution. Next, so this is where I hand it over to Jason, and I'll mute. Um, I look forward to joining you more later, um, but in the in the absence of making a uh, getting on again to make a conclusion, <laughs> let me just say right now. Uh, I'm extremely excited about this plan. I think the combination of the Lancaster center park configuration and the double L.A., uh, you know, Greenville-style heart as you approach the intersection and the the wedge-shaped roadways between them give you a unique, somewhat unprecedented, but certainly, uh, uh, you know, trustworthy solution, but one that will um, actually, make Mansfield different from any other Main Street in Texas or the U.S. Um, but more importantly, will cause the traffic to move calmly. Will satisfy your parking needs. Will um, uh, you know before too long, within within ten to fifteen years, be wonderfully sheltered by uh, the 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 limbs of of hundred or two hundred trees. Um, and um, we're actually just super pleased that you have, have, you know, shown the willingness to make this change to your downtown because um, we think it's going to transform not just the heart of Mansfield, but the whole, the whole impression of the city um, for locals and for potential visitors. So that's what I want to share with you. And now I'll ask Jason to get into the details a little more, both into the street sections, but also into the traffic modeling.
5: Thank you, Jeff, Um, and I certainly couldn't agree with um, what you're saying anymore. This is a a great opportunity, and we're, of course, happy to take any questions that you may all have. I'm going to walk through our cross sections in detail just a little bit, get a sense of maybe some of the numbers behind all of this, and um, give you an idea of what we were thinking might work or not. Oop! We went all the way back to the beginning of the slides. Unless you're going to advance them all the way through, I will click fast because I can do that. Um, it's a good review of uh, what you just saw, luckily.
6: No, I think, Jason, I think that's the right slide, actually. It's got the, unless I'm seeing something different. You may
5: be seeing something different. I
6: think we're doing okay. a
5: local show here, Jeff. So, um,
6: oh, I see that. We'll
5: catch okay. up to you in a minute when we go back live. So, here I was with the cross sections. We're first going to take a look at this view looking south. Um, In what I think is a pretty kind of typical condition, this is really that Lancaster view. So we're immediately south of Oak Street looking towards Broad. Um, This is where you have that wide median. You can actually do 32 feet of median. And imagine this also without cars during an event or something. Um, And that's where you get the angled parking, but then also um, sufficiently wide travel lanes. Jeff and I love a 10-foot travel lane, but against the angled parking um, in a narrower condition, that would be a 12-foot lane, the 8 feet of on-street parking. Your current lanes are 9, which is really like you know, shopping mall standard. We can have a normal on-street 8 feet. And that still gives you the nice outside of that 15 feet of space to be dedicated to the sidewalk. We're saying about 9 of it would be walking space and maybe 6 feet, of it would be that more passive active zone with landscaping. This is that tree line that would be coming down the entire length of Maine. Um, But it wouldn't necessarily be a fully landscaped area. We actually would envision that being pervious pavers or some other similar material. Benches and other people could, other things could be in between the trees up and down the street. And that's that more um, passive zone. And so that cross section is, is really what is the quintessential Lancaster cross section. Um, you know, it's got that opportunity down that central parking plaza for lots of trees, and of course, the trees on either side. And of course, in Lancaster, it is just the one set of trees on either side. And that's what you will have in that section there, just south of Oak. Also, north of Oak, coming in off of the bridge, and again, in this section, looking south. The only difference being there's no parallel parking on the side. So there's going to be bike lanes in those sections. We're picking up the bike lanes that come over the bridge, and those would continue down to Oak, where then bicyclists can go east and west on Oak to disperse, getting over to the trail, for instance, from there. And the sidewalk conditions are very similar, it's slightly Um, misaligned sidewalks just the way there's curvature of the roadway so it's not always 12 feet and 7 feet but it's approximately that big as you go through here. So a nice approach into downtown. What's interesting here though is Lancaster also has this condition where there isn't parking on the outside on the flanks as Jeff called it. So you've just got the parking down the center and you can see that it's just the sidewalk and then a business along the outside edge it's still a very walkable environment. When you look at some of the the pictures of Lancaster, even in those areas where there isn't on street parking, you know, they've made this very active even when it's still parked up in the middle. There's opportunities at crosswalks to have benches. There's obviously people in this particular picture gathering for sort of a swap meet that's going on, and you see the sidewalk right across the travel lane there on the right. This is, you know, an environment even on a normal day that anybody can hang out in, that you can enjoy and relax, and the sidewalk is just those 12 feet away. So this condition where um, you don't even have the on-street parking is an opportunity that's really nice, but we really look at the core, that core block, half block in either direction of Broad, um, within those mid-block crossings, and this is going to be a view looking south toward Broad, is really the opportunity to pick up that second Uh, Lane of trees. So you're having a really nice wide sidewalk against the businesses. Then there's another six feet with a 10 foot sidewalk of like active sidewalk zone. This is very nice for a downtown to have. But then you have this additional area on the west side. We have to deal with the steps and a little bit of the grade change that you have. Um, And on the east side, that would be flat. And that's a combined 10 feet on both sides down the middle of those trees. So you have an area that can really be a nice passive walking environment but also a place maybe there could be vendors set up certainly there could be play activities for kids you can imagine obviously benches being sat uh, sort of perpendicular to the street to make sort of passive areas in that zone you still have parking up and down your main street narrow slow travel lanes really making this core block area a fundamentally nice place Um, Denison actually has some of the kind of look and feel you might expect but I wouldn't say that's the most emblematic example of it and there they have some angled parking in this section but I wanted to just sort of show you that you know there's others out there who are you know thinking about this in the area I think what you're doing is obviously going a lot further if you were to proceed with any of these ideas most importantly this quick shot of what the double row of trees around the sidewalk might look like, that really as it grows out as Jeff has said in 10 or 15 years can really have a a there there and really make this a treed environment. And then lastly we're gonna look quickly on Main Street much further to the south. Um, The other cross section is in that planted area. And so here we've actually added a little bit more landscaping uh, on the flanks kept the current sidewalk with in that area that you've built up south of Kimball and down towards Hunt. But the median really becomes the prominent feature here. Well planted, great tree, great arrival for coming into from the south and even for leaving. And it just picks up on this environment where you already have been introducing nature um, outside of the sidewalks, create that nice planting zone. Uh, but, But here we're actually able to even make this bigger and have the parking even outside of where the parking is now. So a lot of this angled parking can go away, become more of that planting bed and sidewalk. And there's plenty of precedence in the world for having a nice planted median. Uh, Lancaster has a little bit of it on the left in this stretch that isn't fully parked up or treed up. Hopefully you can see in a number of years uh, HERE THIS IS A GREAT EXAMPLE FROM BOSTON OF ONE OF THE a FEW PARKWAYS WE HAVE THERE WHERE YOU CAN REALLY GET THAT UPPER grove, upper STORY GROWTH ON THE TREES GOING WELL WITH A LARGE PLANTED MEDIAN OF ABOUT THAT SIZE. I'LL ALSO BRIEFLY TALK ABOUT BROAD AND THEN WE'LL GET INTO THE LOVELY TRAFFIC. BROAD IS A uh, STREET THAT HAS A LOT OF TRAFFIC, HAS A sort of a different condition than Maine, but we have the ability to make it feel really, really special. This is that cross-section, again, with that two-lane approach into the main intersection, and again, the double alley of trees, but in that alley, that's where those bike lanes can go, and you still have 15 feet of sidewalk outside of that. We can actually make these landscape zones real landscape zones without pavers because there's all that width. Maybe as you get close to Maine, You'd put in some of those pervious pavers like you have on Main as well when we get into details. But this is truly an opportunity to kind of introduce, coming from the east and west, the Main Street intersection as a totally different environment and also be safe for cyclists. There's plenty of examples. These bike lanes are going to be cycle tracks. You bring them up to sidewalk level. Um, you know, this is an urban condition here on the left, but I like the picture on the right, because even though it's not actually a cycle track, it's a sidewalk, that is sort of the bicycling environment you would have with a double alley of trees, and yet still sidewalk um, where that hedge is on the right. So you have an opportunity to really make a superior environment here. Um, if we were to go with the signalized condition, so everything I just showed you is with the roundabout condition, those are two-lane approaches in all four directions. Uh, if we were to think about this as the three-lane cross-section, you are losing some sidewalk space, but it's still good sidewalk. you still got basically 15 feet, nine of active and six of more passive space in front of the businesses on each side. Um, you have a, still a, a six-foot space walking down through the trees, which is more effectively like 10 feet between tree trunks. Um, And that really provides a nice space that's also passive. So you get a lot of the same benefits that you might with the roundabout with that three-lane design. It's just not as large. And there's plenty of downtowns that function quite successfully in that narrower environment. This is just one picture of many I could find. And that would be a a great and active environment for Main Street. Similarly, on Broad, Broad would also, with the signalized alternative, jump up to those three lanes. Here we're showing some parking um, on both sides. It could be a little tight to want to have this full cross section, so as Jeff has suggested, maybe one side you wouldn't have parking. But in either case, you have the width here to be able to continue to have the double alley of trees and the cycle tracks, and still, in this case, 10-foot sidewalks, they're just not 15-foot sidewalks. So you have this great resource that Really, we don't have much opportunity in many places to deal with that really changes things. And a lot of it has to do with, okay, you've had with that's been dedicated for traffic. And it's something that we need to think about in terms of recasting that. Lots of places, and here's maybe one example, the double alley of trees with the bike way through, have really thought about changing their streets. This is a dieted street. It is a three lane cross section. It's got on-street parking, so maybe it's somewhat akin to what that might look like as you approach Main Street on broad, Um, but I think we might be able to go further as we look at the the traffic numbers. So first of all, there's a quick overview again. We'll come back to this if you have any questions. uh, The roundabout design versus the signalized design. I'm gonna talk briefly about what that means in terms of traffic. Folks are always concerned about this, honestly. I think the fundamentals are the thing that really should be first and foremost. Safety, this is a safer design. It's definitely oriented for pedestrian safety and also for bicycle accommodation. When we think about people and what's really important for a downtown, those are the things that you know our profession is always focused on. I think we have to always acknowledge that there's cars out there, and so we have to assess a little bit. Okay, well, you know. Everybody drives, and what are they experiencing today, and what might they experience tomorrow? This is not what the traffic data for your downtown says, actually. It says that there's not as many cars as you're seeing in this long queue on broad looking east. And this is in the evening, people are heading west towards Main Street. I'm more or less standing at the signal with this photograph. Your data says there's more cars on main than there is on broad. So things are changing. You know, there's a lot of development maybe that you're handling. And I think one of the problems is that you'll find out in a minute a lot of that development is not yours. There is a good percentage of cut-through traffic here. That red arrow is basically the back of the queue. And it can take about three minutes sometimes to work your way up through that queue. Now, it's also true on main. There's the arrow heading off there on the right. That queue can head all the way up towards Oak. Um, It's definitely there, but I think under both of these circumstances and having sat there and watched it, the reality is that even just a few minutes later, that queue is gone on main, and after maybe 45 minutes, that queue is gone on broad as well. So I say that just to remember before I share with you what traffic engineers always like to share with you, which is the doom and gloom of 30 minutes in the morning and 45 minutes in the evening. We also have to appreciate who it is who causes your traffic. So, with location-based service data, that's something available through folks' cell phones for many, many years. A lot of people in recent years have opted out of this, but for a long time, we all had this stuff, tracking folks, how they were moving, anonymously, of course. It is amazing when you draw a screen line on Main Street. Now, for these maps, briefly, I'm sorry, north is north, up, straight up. We'll go back to north-left soon enough. But for north straight up, folks are coming in and also coming from the south and passing through. Um, through trips on Maine are nearly 25% of all the volume. The rest of the stuff that's happening is at least starting or ending in Mansfield the end of the day, workers, that kind of a thing, folks heading off to work, um, or just driving within your community. But that's a large cut-through percentage. It's a lot of folks who are saying, you know, I'm just taking this because it's a convenient roadway. And then when we take that same data and we map it out across the region to see, hey, where are folks coming from? I'll get to the punchline, which is the the dark blue line. They're coming to and from throughout the day, mostly at peak hour, Fort Worth, and then, of course, down to Midlothian and other points to the south. They're basically using your downtown Main Street as an alternative to US 287. And once upon a time, I think TechStot thought of that as a big potential reliever. You now control that roadway. And there's a reason, because traffic model growth for the last 20 years has been way overestimating actual traffic growth. And as big a growth as you have in the Dallas-Fort Worth region, you're still not at the levels of a lot of projections were once made. So what that says, from a modeling, goofy perspective, is that you probably don't need to have all these cut through trips on your main street. You just do, because it's five lanes wide, and for a lot of people, it's pretty easy to cut through, and a quarter of your volume is taking advantage of that. So you know, here we are looking just more at the detailed movements as folks are coming down on Main Street in the evening, and most of those people are just passing right on through. Um, We looked at the same screen line east-west on broad, and it's even higher than a quarter. Nearly a third of folks are just cutting through on broad, just completely passing through Mansfield, and that's more of an Arlington to Rendon and other places to the west kind of a maneuver. And, you know, again, it's that same question. Could these people be on Debbie? Was it 1187 to the north? Or, Or could they be on the Parkway, 917 to the south? Those are also opportunities for people to be diverting to. When you look at these numbers, you know, in the morning, eastbound movements mostly in the morning, that is all just through traffic. You know, folks are not entertaining Main Street. They are just trying to get through. Um, When we cut the screen line on the other side of Broad, by the way, just east of Main, it's less through. This is actually a good story. What it says is that there's a, a, if you're looking at that traffic in queue that I just showed you, a lot of people are actually just trying to stay within your community, they actually are trying to get around. But it's when we look at the edges of the study area, we see that there's so much through traffic, and that's a threat for all of you to be thinking about. And here's where you don't have 80% cutting through, it's only 60% cutting through, because folks are, you know, traveling between places of Mansfield. So here's what the traffic final data numbers, if you were to look at a traffic report, it's gonna give you letter grades, levels of service. And what we've done here in the top left, and again now all these maps are back oriented to north being to your left. And the top left is existing. The black lines are existing average modeled queues. I've added the dashed black line that runs down broad because that's what we saw. But the data says it should only go about as far as the red lines. Um, That's an average queue sometimes once in a while, it'll be a little bit longer. In the upper right, if we were to take these volumes and put it into the three-lane road diet, you'll see those black lines go beyond those red bars. And if we had a roundabout, those black lines almost go off the map in every direction. What does that mean in terms of the numbers here? It means, hey, you know, you went from a a C, whatever that is, to an F, whatever that is. Well, what it is is the model says, you know, you go from a half-minute of delay to a minute and a half, if you're an average delay in a road diet, to what? three or three plus minutes is a roundabout. And occasionally, the worst case scenario, you know, three plus minutes, it could be six minutes at a roundabout. Well, what's interesting in all these numbers is that models have a strength and a failing at estimating reality. A model has a tipping point, and a model is trying to assume what it sees in the field. And as I've already said, we've seen longer cues and sometimes the model acknowledges that. But one of the things that we wanted to test was what if there was a way to say to people, hey, we have a downtown that's slow and quiet and calmed and with two travel lanes instead of five, and the speeds are compatible with walking, and we're not trying to be a cut-through community, and you should stay on 287 or 1187 or 917, what if that 30% of cut-through traffic that we have seen in all of the location-based data wasn't driving through your downtown? And suddenly the models all say everything is wonderful. So the reality is always going to be something a little bit different, because as Jeff has aptly said, if there's something you want to be there for, you'll suffer whatever it is to go there for, or if it's something you don't want to trouble yourself with, you'll go around. Through trips, hopefully, in your downtown, would go around. But hopefully, people who have an interest in being here would come in, would drive slowly, and would enjoy your downtown. And what's interesting here is you actually have very little worsening of delay whatsoever, NQs, with the roundabout or with the road diet condition. We have our own favorites, and whether you should have a roundabout or a three-lane road diet in your downtown, that's up to you. It's obviously something for you all to decide, but we wanted to provide to you at least the preliminary numbers on all this and what our take is on what this means. Happy to take any of your questions and go back on any of those slides. Jeff, do you want to have any parting words? We don't see you on screen, but we can go back to you on
6: screen pretty easily. I, I was happy to state my conclusion already, but I'm ready for questions. <laughs> all
0: right, all right. I'll start on my left. Any questions on my left? Go ahead, Mr. Brosh.
7: Thank you, Mayor. I'm not positive that I understood the uh, that last slide or the the one right before where you were showing the very, the yeah the timing elements. So you're saying that around roundabout actually. I, I'm having trouble understanding how that would double or even triple the amount of time if you're, if everything else is still uh, static.
5: So, the problem with roundabouts in particular, the modeling software, something called Sidra, which is replicated in other tools, is trying to represent in very, I would say, black and white terms, what it can do more easily with a traffic signal. The signal is red, you come up and stop, how long are you waiting in that signal? And it estimates the number of seconds. That's not how a roundabout works. A roundabout is always moving. When there's more cars coming into a roundabout, it's just that there's more cars doing what we all need to do naturally at a roundabout, which is slow down, turn the wheel, yield, and drive around the roundabout. Everybody coming into a roundabout intersection is doing that. The model has a really hard time understanding that. So I'm gonna back up even one more slide. Look at the, the lower right number underneath roundabout. It shows the longest 95th percentile queue. So 95th percentile queue is that thing that happens occasionally, usually it's going to be shorter. If we see some diversion, which we would absolutely expect if you have a slow downtown versus a highway in your heart, you know, that would be 530 feet. If somehow all of those cars continued to come which is why we think this is unrealistic. That queue would be over 3,000 feet long off the map, but that's not realistic. Now, if there's a great event happening in downtown Mansfield and a ton more people come, um, yeah, there will be a a queue of cars trying to get into that event. And Depending on what your perspective is, that's a success or not. Um, But we don't think this is realistic under most conditions. Most conditions are going to see that some people are going to say no, and those people, I would say nine out of ten of them, are the through traffic who really don't care about downtown. They're just
6: driving through. Jason, could you speak a little bit uh, more specifically about the difference in what we anticipate in traffic between the roundabout and the three-lane solution? Just yeah, comparing yeah. those two those two choices.
5: Yeah, it, it's actually very little difference at the broad. Level So for instance, you would round a lot of these numbers to be as realistic as possible. So as you can see, technically the roundabout when we start to see some diversion starts to behave a lot better than the, the three-lane section. If we were to see higher diversion, you would see the level of service for the roundabout get better than today. And as you can see here, it's actually never performing as badly as it does today in the worst case scenario. When you get that randomly long queue, that 95th percentile queue, here um, you know we're showing this environment as only a 37 second average delay. Again, I hate the precision of these numbers. And the existing environment is sometimes up to a, a 54 second delay. So, it's it's nerdy numbers trying to represent the reality of an environment with a roundabout that's always moving but slowly and that always moving but slowly adds roughly, you know, 37 seconds of extra time as you drive through Mansfield whereas today you might have up to a minute of extra time as you drive through Mansfield
2: so I'd like to know the differences in parking, if there is any differences in parking, with the roundabout where it's narrowing down versus having the signalized lights because you're having to create that other lane. So, are we taking any parking out um, versus what the roundabout would provide?
6: So, Jason can I jump yes. in, Jason? Yeah. I think, Jason, I think I misread the plan and misremembered the solution and i remember we worked through several different solutions but it appears in the section that we've managed to make it fit even with the three lane solution on broad we've managed to fit parking on both flanks of the street so counselor i believe the answer to your question is that the two schemes present the same amount of parking is that right jason
5: yes they present the same amount of parking each of them and they're also presenting Basically, the same amount of parking that you have in your core downtown where it's parallel parking, but then plus the angled center areas. So, where you have and, angled yeah. parking on the south side, which is around Dallas and that area, um, it's going to be very similar to the amount that you have now because you have that back in angled parking. Um, but on the north side towards Oak, we're actually seeing a supply increase by adding that median
6: parking.
2: So more. And Jason, I actually tried to...
6: I, I tried to count the parking while you were presenting. (laughs) Not that I wasn't listening. Um, And I did a very quick count. But currently, um, the, the existing condition, there's about 35 parking spaces north of Broad Street. And there's about 85 parking spaces south of Broad Street. So a total of about 120 spaces. Our proposal has about 85 spaces north of broad streets that's 85 versus 35 and then due to the first block jason where we've narrowed the street considerably adding a bunch of parking um on the south side we've got about 115 spaces versus the current 85 so there's a there's, there is a bit of an increase so overall the current plan has about 200 on street parking spaces versus the current condition of 120 parking spaces
0: okay All right, go ahead, Ms. Short. Uh,
1: Currently, people are used to crossing at the traffic light with, you know, weight or you can cross. Now, what happens with a roundabout on the crosswalks?
5: So, a roundabout is considered by my profession as the safest way to cross the street. Um, You know, many people can have different perspectives on that, but essentially because the car is entering and forced to turn the wheel and come to a a crawl in order just to be able to proceed through the roundabout, that's also the point where there's a crosswalk. And so anyone wanting to cross is immediately yielded to, and uh, the, the injury and fatality rates for pedestrians and roundabouts are like next to nothing compared to even the nicest traffic signal design. So you know, if there's a lot of people coming in and going through that intersection at the same time, it, you know, it'll cause more delay for vehicles waiting, which you, know, you might argue if there's a lot of pedestrians in your downtown, that's actually a success, not a bad thing. Yes.
1: And then I have one more question uh, because we've run into this with the back end parking um, and you probably don't have this problem in Boston and they probably don't have the problem in California, but we have a lot of trucks here. And was that taken into consideration with the parking?
5: Yeah, we kept all of the stalls. I think the 45-degree angle stalls are 9-footers. The on-street are 8-footers. And all of the appropriate radii to be able to get in and out throughout all of your downtown is being maintained, even on the roundabout for semi-trailers turning around.
0: Okay, thank you. All right, back to my right. Go ahead, Mr. Newsome.
5: Yeah, just a little bit of follow-up. Um, when
8: you're saying eight and nine foot, you're talking about width. What about um, especially the centralized or the central lane parking? What is the length? Because, I mean, on average, multiple trucks are at least as long as the suburban. So, I mean, how, do, how is that accounted for?
5: Yeah, you're lucky because, again, that width that you have is technically a little bit more ample than Lancaster. So, it's a 32-foot wide central median the that's not just 16 and 16 when you rotate the cars 45 degrees we're almost 20 feet long the you know even the the largest um pickup trucks aren't 20 feet long um you know an average car is actually less than 16 feet and so with with some of those larger 350s you're going to be approaching 18 that should be absolutely fine
0: all right on my left all right i'll speak to the uh, roundabout i I come through there every day have since 1989 and um, you know i love everything that i see but that and with all due respect that scares the bejeebers out of me because we see a lot of traffic in that area i think personally i would need to be convinced by seeing an animation or something you know just as to how that would work especially with pedestrian crossing uh, when we have uh, events there uh, and you got the conglomeration of people and, and, and vehicles all at the same time. Um, not speaking to the, um, you know, uh, in regard to us Texans and, and walking in between cars and otherwise. I'm, I'm a kid from 1984 when uh, we used to call Cooper Street uh, Dead Man's Row, so right there at UTA people would actually get killed there. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, 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 uh, I'm good. I'm just uh, having heart palpitations, just seeing that roundabout in the middle of that, right in the middle of that uh, busy intersection there. Everything else looks great. I'm all a fan for uh, everything that I see but that, you know, for whatever reason. Well, I just gave the reason. But uh, that, that's yeah. my issue there. I just, a lot of, a lot of traffic, comes and goes through there
6: and, um, and mayor could i speak to that um yeah please do i'm not a huge roundabout fan i'm working in carmel indiana i've done a number of plans there uh, mayor brainer just retired after 28 years and 150 roundabouts <laughs> he put 150 roundabouts in carmel indiana and he cut their uh traffic death statistics to about a third of any community in the uh, in the in the region. Um, I didn't put any of those in, and in in my book, walkable city rules. One of the rules is use round. Of, it's rule sixty nine. Use roundabouts with discretion. And my feeling about roundabouts is that they. I, I know statistically that they're tremendously safe. And that's just that's not just th- theoretical. I mean. there there have not been failures in safety with roundabouts they perform consistently so you know on planet earth we can have confidence that a roundabout will be a safer solution than the signal it's that simple um i happen to feel that this is a pretty ideal location for a roundabout and it's one of the only plans i've ever done where i think the roundabout is the preferred solution because honestly it 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 will because of the limited level of pedestrian activity you have and even um, even if your pedestrian activity goes up a tremendous amount you don't have the sort of you're not going to have the sort of pedestrian crowding on a regular basis that uh would cause um, impediments to the function of that roundabout and then also because i think you really need a there there in the heart of your downtown and uh, a roundabout with a fountain in it and a dramatic feature is just much more of a um, placemaking tool than a simple intersection. So I think it kind of completes the art of the plan and it makes the the heart of your downtown all the more memorable and special. Um, I like both solutions, but this, this roundabout skeptic is actually a fan of the roundabout in this particular location.
0: I remember uh, you saying that uh, you weren't a big roundabout fan. I like roundabouts, actually, personally. Um, I, I know that we're going to uh, heavily amenitize that that intersection. There's going to be a lot of pedestrians there. And um, that, that's, that's my only level of reticence. But again, you know, just, just seeing, seeing how that would work, that would be uh, just advantageous to me. I don't know about my my colleagues and their thoughts, you know, regarding that. I mean, they've been driving that 200 years, you know, like I have. I think just just kind of viewing that would uh, be helpful. But I've got got another one of my colleagues who would like to uh, chide in at this time. Mr. Lewis. Thank you, Mayor.
9: Um, I I was interested to hear what uh, Mr. Speck's, uh, preference was between the the two. I'm glad he did say the roundabout. What I what I think about is um, we're we're putting a roundabout in on Broad at Retta right now, um, and I I actually told Joe and I saw this that I I could see this again at you know a little further east at Walnut Creek and Broad as well. Um, what I, what I like about roundabouts is I hate sitting in traffic and just sitting at a red light and never moving i'd much rather go four miles an hour and just always but when you're going four miles an hour you're alert you're paying attention versus when you're stopped i've almost been hit crossing at the protected signal from me hands going to the flying squirrel at that intersection protected um at least three times um can remember like green light ready to go and a truck making a right turn because they're focused on trying to get through an intersection whereas this roundabout it's going to particularly during those peak times everybody's going to be moving five miles an hour safely entering the intersection and moving through versus if they sit at a at a turn signal and they've got 45 seconds we all know what happens that everybody guns it gets through the intersection real fast in their 45 seconds and somebody gets it 47 seconds it's a yellow light and they also go through and then the guy when it turns red he doesn't want to wait for another three minutes so he goes too. Um, i think the roundabout having that option may actually work better but i'm with you and maybe there are examples of more urban areas where there's some videos that we could see of how pedestrians are actually interacting with it before we made such a substantial change <laughs> um, but I, I like the idea of it and I think it could change how West Broad oh God, yeah. looks when you have a series of roundabouts going through there no doubt. Um, and it also trucks do, do not like roundabouts as much so if we're trying to cut down on and <clears throat> through traffic that may help
0: I, I agree 100% I mean it would be it would be a there there uh, to use uh, uh, Dr. Speck's uh, terminology it would, de- it would be beautiful I mean, it would be beautiful. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Just don't know if if Leroy would run right through the thing or not. You know. <laughs> but um, I, it, it would be great. I'm just saying. But uh, that's that's my opinion on it. But I tell you what. I mean, I would love it to see it. I just like to see pictures first. You know what I'm saying? A video. So I'm with you. All right, go ahead, Mr. Newsom. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm done.
8: Yeah, definitely. Agree. I like to see some some a little bit more information, a little bit more practical um, idea of what that looks like because, you know, st- 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 speaking statistically, I'm assuming rear-end parking is supposed to be safer,
10: <laughs> <laughs>
8: but we can see how well that has gone over. So, um, you know, in, in practical applications, um, understanding how how that goes, I, I mean, I've driven through a number of cities with with roundabouts. I've never. Driven through one that has a, where it has a potential to be a more of a prominent pedestrian intersection um, as well. they've always been a little bit more of a call traffic calming necessarily. Um, you know peace versus a uh, one that works well together with um, pedestrian and and vehicles, but um, definitely open you know for a different view for sure.
0: All right, all right, I think we're good. Uh, you, you've heard our sentiments. I believe we love it. You'll have to. You'll work with us on this roundabout. Happy to. I'm sure you'll much. bring us some animation at some point.
5: You, all right. I'll try uh, to keep away from the boring uh, models and give you something entertaining.
0: And we understand the analytics. You know, 49ers lost last night because of analytics. I'm just saying. So, uh, all right. Mighty fine. Thank you so very much. Glad to do Sorry you about that, that you, other, you 49er fans. Forgive me. <laughs>
5: all right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> thank you, Mayor
6: and Councilor.
0: All right. Thank you all very much. All right. Councilor, we'll move forward now with a discussion regarding the uh, Cipriani Laguna uh, Azure LLC proposed uh, development. Mr. Jones, coming at this
4: time. Thank you, Mayor. At your last council meeting, uh, you all requested a work session item uh, for the regular agenda item for the Cipriani Azor uh, Megatel development. So uh, they are here before you all. Uh, there are a few questions uh, that you all uh, had for them. And so they have put together a brief presentation to kind of walk you through their thoughts on where we are in the development agreement with them as it, as it stands today. Uh, so with that, I will turn it over. Uh, who is it Steve or... Steve Steve, uh, with Megatel will be presenting for you this evening
0: All right. or afternoon. We're not even. Right, it's all right. Yeah. And Mr. Jones, in regard to the presentation, you, you mentioned um, that it would be brief. I don't believe that we need to see the entire one that we saw the last time. So if, if you could, uh, our friend here is Yes, this, sir. So A I'm bit of sure it's an adjust.
4: overall and summary. So I'll let them skip go. through that and then uh, get to the, the points of the discussion Thank we you. had all last right. time. Yes, all, right.
11: Sir. all right. Thank you, so much Our mayor, council members, good to see you all again. Um, just based on the, the feedback that we had last time, we did put together a presentation. It's, it's fairly short. It's not as lengthy. There's no movies, so it should go pretty quickly. <clears throat> so just some of the, the history of what the Laguna Azor is. Um, it's a, a luxury resort community. Uh, at the build-out, uh, looking at uh, our current um, expected lot and uh, in, in builder uh, home costs uh, is about a, a billion dollars total. Uh, that's not um, escalated at all for any kind of a, a build out when we expect it to be done. Those are just today's dollars so expect it to be consider- or higher than that. Uh, the Lagoon itself is open to the public and it's a profit center, not a, an HOA asset. And since it's a profit center, we work really hard to make sure there's a very high level of maintenance and a very high level of service for everything, uh, which I think is a, a big distinction over a lot of other lagoons that we've looked at that are HOA assets. Um, and, you know, when t- dollars get a little tight for the HOA, uh, they start cutting back in different areas, uh, unfortunately. And a lot of the times, uh, some of the big amenity centers take a big hit. Uh, since this is uh, not an HOA asset and is a, a a profit center for one of our uh, sister divisions. Um, We're very, very interested in making sure that this continues to have uh, really good income every year and continues to be a profit center and uh, good for not only the residents that live there, but the community and the residents of Mansville. Um, We've got um, the sales tax revenue are um, actually the actual taxes, taxable items. We're looking at about $7 million a year. Um, that's mostly food and beverage, but it's also um, entry fees and lots of other things that folks can do at the uh, lagoon. Um, we've got a pretty nice four-story, uh, high-end, garden-style multifamily. Uh, we've got several uh, that we're working on across the the state of Texas um, we think that the ones here will will go very quickly uh, as far as lease up and uh, add to the overall uh, image of the community um, again with with higher end well-maintained um, facilities the lagoon and, and the multifamily family uh, are actually also job centers uh, we look at approximately hundred employees uh, some of those are seasonal. Some of the, Most of those are not. Um, the lagoon itself, besides the, all the pretty pictures you saw, uh, there's an event venue. There's rooms that you can rent. Uh, there's a, a restaurant, fitness classes. We kind of have it set up so that there's something to do for all kinds of ages and every member of the family. We also have a program where some of the multifamily units, we actually hang on to those and... Um, Furnish those and use them as kind of a, a B&B for short-term rentals for folks that want to have a vacation, um, especially since the homeowners, if you are in one of the uh, lagoon communities that we have, you can actually go to any of them um, and, and get in for free without an additional uh, entry for a different locations so if you wanted to go and have a vacation uh, let's say up in van Alstein, uh you go up there we would have some of these multi-family units that you could rent and it would be kind of a nice vacation getaway for the family and that's kind of how the L- Laguna azure uh, works out uh, we also in our uh, most of our Laguna azure communities set up a situs agreement with the city where we change the the uh, sales tax for all of the purchases on the building materials for the homes and the multifamily buildings and the uh, commercial um, where we change it to the city of Mansfield's uh, zip code and we split those uh, those costs with the city uh, some of these we mentioned already and um, since it is, again, a private asset uh, that does have uh, um, a return on investment and an expected performa, uh, we do do high levels of service and high levels of maintenance are, are really critical to our whole model. Uh, we have done some studies, and we've, we've actually um, had one from Florida, uh, and we've looked at all of our experience here in in texas with the lagoon communities and we see that on average their the homes uh, are about sixty thousand dollars higher people are putting more uh, upgrades into their homes they're looking for these homes to be uh, a long-term solution for them and their families and to be able to enjoy the lagoon uh, with their kids and grandkids We've also seen that the sales velocities are much higher in the lagoon communities than in the non-lagoon communities, so we can get to that $1 billion value a lot quicker. Uh, The process for the lagoon overall, um, there's a whole bunch of things that go on before we even turn any dirt, and this is kind of all talking about the uh, timing of the lagoon. So you can kind of see all these different folks um, that we have to work with and coordinate with. Uh, And we're actually well into this whole process uh, on the lagoon for Supergani Island. Kind of just looking overall, the timing of of a lot of, like, the plenary design, you can kind of see uh, six months, four months. Right now, we're actually starting to do the construction plan design for this project. There's also money involved with all these things for the consultants. Uh, so before we even start construction, we probably have pretty close to six, if not a little over, $6 million um, that we've put into this. I know one of the questions before was, um, what incentive does Megatel have to continue uh, and build a lagoon? Um, And so we have that $2 million penalty that we put in there, but on top of that, we've also got easily $6 million um, of our own money that is invested in getting everything ready for the lagoon uh, to be built. So we talked about in the uh, developer agreement, to start the lagoon, we obviously need sewer and water to the site. Uh, Those are gonna be big things for construction, obviously for uh, operations of the facilities. Um, Once we have our uh, overall site set up uh, where we know exactly where it's going to be, we also need to do additional geotech work. The lagoon itself, there's a lot of water on it. There's a lot of uh, things that can go wrong. Uh, We work very closely with the geotech engineers to make sure that everything's going to work well. Uh, But that's also another thing that's going to take up some time once we start actually uh, focused on uh, an approved location, an approved uh, site plan layout. Um, we're going to have to do some additional things before we can even start. Uh, then there's the permit process. Uh, we typically like to sit down with the city building official and staff and kind of walk through the process that they would like. Every city that we've been at likes to do things a little bit different. Uh, the lagoon is, is something that most people don't build. Uh, the size of the uh, entertainment district building is also something that most neighborhoods don't build. Uh, There's a lot of uh, accessory buildings that have to go around to support the lagoon uh, and the people out there like restrooms and storage facilities and those types of things. So the permit can be pretty complicated. Um, Some building officials like to have it as one big permit and phase it. Other ones like to split it up into uh, smaller chunks um, that make it kind of uh, easier for review uh, and inspections in the field. Um, The body of of water Uh, for the lagoon itself actually kind of needs a pump room to go with it. So there's, when we do sit down and talk about uh, how the permit would work, there's logically some pieces that are going to fall together, and it makes sense for uh, the permit to be combined in some areas. And in others, it's a lot easier to be split up. But again, it will really depend on um, your building official and staff and and how uh, they feel it would be easiest for them to, to process everything. Um, Then what we have in the D.A. right now, um, 24 months to build it, plus two six-month extensions uh, after the water and wastewater are at the property. Um, And again, we need the water and wastewater uh, for some of the construction activities. And then if we phase the things differently, uh, for instance, the lagoon and the mechanical room go first, uh, the mechanical room and the lagoon are both going to need water uh, with the loss of be wastewater needs uh, during construction. Uh, so we'll need to get those done uh, up front. Uh, that timing of the 24 months and, and two six-month extensions uh, also has a force majeure clause. Um, we don't anticipate needing that, but um, we've had issues with uh, with weather and uh, we've had issues with some of the um, various consultants um, and, and cities That are working on different projects adjacent to or or near ours uh, that have slowed down our process. Uh, We currently have a penalty uh, and the DA uh, a two million dollar payment if the lagoon isn't built during that time frame. We also have uh, uh, the three EDC payments abate until the lagoon is complete. Uh, There was a a question about holding the future phases and kind of pausing them until the lagoon uh, is done uh, we've seen issues with um, uh, pid bond disclosures uh, for few, for for doing exactly that uh, we've got one project uh, that has a very similar setup um, and it's i think the city is not thrilled with uh, how it has worked out um, and then the pid bonds when they sell the pid bonds uh, part of that whole process is looking at the community overall and how it's going to develop out. Uh, and so if we have a situation where we're not able to go forward uh, after we have a, a, a one-pid bond sold, uh, go forward with the future phases, uh, it would be def- definitely something that would need to be disclosed to the uh, potential buyers for the bonds and potentially cause a, a a problem or a higher interest rate for those bonds. Um, for Megatel itself, besides the six million dollar revenue uh, or no revenue to pay off the six million in design costs we have there that are sunk into the project, uh, we have of course the two million dollar payment to the city and the EDC that, that stops uh, until the lagoon is complete. But also we have um, all of the the marketing is all really based on the lagoon. Um, and that's the biggest seller. We, we always poll our um, people when they sign a contract, what's the main reason that you're looking to buy in the community. Uh, it's always the lagoon, and people are always excited about the lagoon. Um, so we would have a huge backlash in uh, lawsuits and canceled contracts if we didn't build the lagoon. Not only at this particular uh, city, but all of our other lagoons um, uh, there would potentially be backlash as well. So that's something we're definitely looking to avoid. And then, um, you know, worst case, if we start getting a lot of folks canceling uh, and lawsuits, not just from this community, but other ones, uh, we could face bankruptcy. We're, we're very, very committed to the Lagoon. Uh, they are all profit centers, uh, and we have that money earmarked uh, in the performance for, for future growth of the company. Um, and I know that was a a big concern that was brought up earlier, uh, was, well, with just a $2 million penalty, it's easy for you guys to walk away from this. There's a lot more at stake, uh, for us uh, as a company, um, and a, 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 builder and a partner with you guys. Um, but we wanted to kind of be transparent and show you kind of everything that, that's facing us on this. Uh, and, the, and the DA is kind of set up to help give us some protections on those and also give the city some protections uh, as well. Uh, the financial model that we have set up is a, a PID TERS. Uh There's construction bonds. And for both direct and MI improvements, uh, the TURS is set up to reduce the PID assessments uh, for the most part. Um, we had our VTL. It's at a 1.5 to 1. That's to sell the bonds and get the bonds captured at that rate, uh, but then we don't want to have the, the money released to us until we have a three-to-one um, value to lien. that gives the city a lot more protection. Um, that's when we've got homes that are up uh, in the neighborhood. Um, and we've got our max tax stack that we have set up right now as about a 309. Uh, with the assessments added in, um, and then we've got a 50% ters duration for the the pit assessments. Uh, we've talked to the county uh, already, the county commissioner for uh, our area, uh, plus the county judge. They were both kind of excited about the project and potentially interested in ters. Uh, there's not a requirement for the county, but uh, we think that their participation uh, would help reduce the the uh, overall load for the city and for the residents. Um, uh, We have it typically in our development agreements that the city, any oversizing that the city would like to have, especially since we're kind of out um, on the edges of the ETJ and and the city uh, uh, boundary. um, Looking at future growth, there's very often uh, a desire by the city to oversize water and sewer and, and different roads. Uh, Typically, especially if it's a CIP, um, the city pays for the oversizing, and then on the CIP projects, uh, there's a reimbursement for the impact fees for uh, the water, sewer, or road, or whatever it may end up being. The trail system was one of the issues that uh, was brought up or concerns. So we've got uh, a lot of uh, sidewalks and smaller trails. Um, The big trail that we have running through the whole community is designed so that regardless of where you live, uh, you can get on a golf cart or your bike or whatever and get on this trail and get to the lagoon. Uh, So um, we've got it running from the far west, uh, touching each of the different areas where there's homes, uh, going across the future connector road, um, and then uh, going north in the middle up to the uh, homes, Uh, up there and across the bottom, and then we kind of snake back up into the community on the far right, uh, and it goes through past the multifamily area and into the lagoon area. Uh, So folks don't have to get on the roads, they don't have to drive their cars. Um, The the trail also gives uh, folks uh, just a nice walk if they want to take their dog out or, you know, the kids in the strollers. Um, we really think trails enhance the community, enhance everybody's enjoyment of the community. Um, so the, the main trail that runs through everything is definitely uh, one of our main, main factors in trying to, uh, to bring the community together and include the lagoon for everybody that wants to get there uh, and not have to just drive up there with their car. Uh, so, the, one of the things that we have done to try to um, mitigate the, 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 the fact that the, uh, you cannot contractually obligate future council decisions in a developer agreement. Uh, the future councils are able to do what they need to do. Um, so, to help minimize the risk that a future uh, council would not want to move forward with a PID. Uh, or not want to label uh, or create assessments or an SAP, um, we have a, a MUD um, and this is how we do pretty much all of our uh, lagoons. We have a MUD backup in place. Uh, it's never really used, it's just kind of there so that the future councils uh, can realize that if we don't do the PID and TERS uh, financial model, we're gonna have to do a different financial model just to stay solvent. Uh, that different financial model is, is the mud. Uh, we greatly prefer the pit and and working with the city. We really don't like working with the mud and, and dealing with the mud, uh, especially since you have to wait uh, for a, a good, usually it's about three to four years before you have enough assessed value to even do a bond. Um, and the only reason that the mud is there, again, is just to as a reminder to future city councils um, that, the, the obligation for the PID tours that uh, we have in our partnership uh, is designed to be uh, a lasting one for the community. Um, and hopefully uh, the mud will, as a backup, will be there to help keep that fresh in their minds. Um, every time that we get a PID created for a different phase, uh, we do annex that out into the city and take it out of the mud. Um, Again, that kind of goes right along the line with the fact that we really want a PID terse. We don't want a MUD or to be able to use MUD bonds. Uh, we have in the DA right now, if if the city is moving forward with PID bonds um, and we choose to use the MUD option, uh, we have a $10 million penalty We have to pay to the city. Uh, we think that's a pretty good incentive to keep us on track uh, with the PID bonds. And then we just continue that process with with each phase being annexed into the city um, until the project is complete and then the mud just goes away altogether. Tried to keep it short, tried to answer your questions uh, that we had from the last meeting. Um, Any additional questions?
0: All right, thank you very much. All right, I'll start on my left. Council members, are there any additional questions? Right there. Mr. Broch? Good. Okay. Left, left, right. All right. On my right, any additional questions? All right. All right. Thank you so very much. We appreciate it. <coughs> All right, council. Discussion regarding the, <coughs> excuse me, February 12, um, 2024, consent agenda. Do you have uh, any of those that uh, you would like for us to uh, pull at this time? We don't have that many this time, but they're fair game. All right, everybody good? Okay, I think we're good. All righty then. All right, then if we are good, we will uh, recess into our executive session. Pursuant to Section 551.071, the Texas Government Code, the Council reserves the right to convene in executive sessions from time to time as deemed necessary during this meeting for any posted agenda item to receive advice from its attorney as permitted by law to discuss the following. A. Consultation with city attorney to seek advice about pending or contemplated litigation, a settlement offer, or on a matter in which the duty of the city attorney to the city's governmental body under the Texas disciplinary rules of professional conduct of the State Bar of Texas clearly conflicts with Chapter 551 of the Texas Governmental Code pursuant to Section Five five one dot zero seven one seek advice of our city attorney regarding pending litigation. Calls number three four eight dash two seven zero one five five 14 one four seek advice of city attorney regarding Uh, A veteran memorial seek advice of city attorney regarding legal issues pertaining to economic development projects listed in section 3d of the agenda B. discussion regarding possible purchase exchange lease or value of real property pursuant to section 551.072 land acquisition for future development. Personnel managed pursuant to section 551.074, deliberation regarding commercial or financial information received from or the offer of a financial or other incentives that are made to a business prospect seeking to locate, stay or expand in or near the territory of the city and with which the city is conducting economic development negotiations pursuant to section 551.087. Economic development project numbers 21-26 21-23 22-04 22-23 23-12 the council will now recess into executive session at 3:46 p.m. All right, we're going to uh, reconvene into our regular business session at uh, 5.30 p.m. All righty. Let's see. Let's get some business taken care of here. We'll move uh, right to our item 12, our subcommittee reports. 25-24-5844. 25 excuse me 24-5844. These are minutes. Approval of the uh, January 22, 2024 tax increment reinvestment zone number four board uh, meeting minutes. And this board, of course, is uh, made up of the full council. In the uh, first agenda item under new business, uh, it was to discuss and give possible action regarding a First Amendment to the Economic Development Agreement between the City of Mansfield. The uh, Mansfield Economic and Development Corporation, the Board of Directors of Reinvestment Zone 4 in the uh, City of Mansfield, Texas, and HD5 Entertainment, LLC. Uh, board Member uh, Lewis uh, moved to uh, approve the item, which was a uh, second by Board Member Short. The motion carried unanimously. On the second item, final item, it as a new business, uh, was discussion and possible action regarding a professional services contract between the city of Mansfield, Texas and Perkins and Will in the amount uh, not to exceed $4,350,000 for the design and professional services of the multi-use stadium at Harvest Point. Again, uh, Board Member Bounds, in this case, uh, moved to approve the item, which was seconded by Board Member Short. And the motion did carry unanimously. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is my report uh, regarding on the TERS board number four. Uh, I would like to receive a motion at this time, if I can have one. Move to approve. Thank you, Ms. Short. Second. Thank you, Ms. Bounds. All right, questions? Hearing none, seeing none, please cast your vote. <coughs> okay. All right. <coughs> All right. Please cast your vote. <laughs> Oh, again? <laughs> All right, and that uh, motion carries 7 0. All right, uh, moving right along at this time. Say hit clear, okay. All right, moving right along. This time I will move to the uh, consent agenda. Well, let me ask this question there, Is there any action to take pursuant to executive session? None? All right. And we'll just hold if there are staff comments, of course, when our public is present. All right, I'll move to uh, item 15, that is the consent agenda. All matters listed under our consent agenda uh, have been previously discussed, require little or no deliberation, or or, uh, considered uh, to be Routine by the Council, if discussion desired, then an item will be removed from the consent agenda and considered separately. Otherwise, approval of the consent agenda authorizes the City Manager to implement each item in accordance with staff's recommendation. Council, are there any items that you would like to have removed at this time? All right. Hearing none, seeing none, I'm ready to receive a motion. Move to approve. Thank you, Mr. Brosh. Second. Thank you, Ms. Bounds. All right. Questions? Hearing none, please cast your votes. That item carries, bless you, 7-0. All right. <clears throat> All right, moving now to our old business, item 24-5829. It's a, resolution, a uh, resolution of the City Council of the City of Mansfield, Texas, authorizing the city manager or his designee to negotiate, finalize, and execute a development agreement with the uh, Cipriani Laguna Azure LLC finding that the meeting at which this resolution is passed is open to the public as required by law and declaring an effective uh, date all right uh, mr jones
4: thank you mayor council um, there is a presentation that we, uh, you did receive last meeting. I'm happy to go through that. If, or if you have any questions or if you'd like, I can forego that um, and just skip right to the questions.
0: Council, are there any more questions regarding this particular matter? Again, just to remind the public that we did uh, have a conduct a uh, work session on this particular item. Looking to my left. Any other questions to my right? All right, hearing none, I thank you, sir. I'm prepared to receive a motion. Mayor,
8: I'd like to make a motion to deny.
0: Thank you, Mr. Newsom. Second. Thank you, Ms. Bounds. All right, questions, statements, hearing none. Please cast your votes. Item carries 7-0. All right, we're going to (coughs) skip our public hearings until the public portion of our meeting on tonight. So then with that in mind, we'll move to new business, uh, item number 24-5864. It's a resolution, resolution of the City Council, City of Mansfield, Texas, proving a second uh, amendment to the uh, contract of sale between the City of Mansfield, Texas, and Crystal Window and Door System, Uh, Texas LLTD, and declaring an effective date. Mr. Moore?
12: Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, Council. We've got a a slide here. Is it? Pull that up. So this resolution uh, approves a second amendment to the contract of sale. And if you recall, the crystal windows... uh, project was considered with an economic development agreement and the bid for the mushroom property approximately 44 acres back in september of 2022. so we had been working on a couple things and the inspection period for the closing of the property was contingent on several things one of those being the state incentives uh, that were requested and applied for and we are our understanding at this time is there's still not a formal um, approval, but they are considering um, that application as we speak. And so they will not formally announce or move forward with this project uh, and until that consideration is complete. So the part of the um, amendment tonight includes a 90-day extension of the contract of sale. Uh, because when we originally approved this in 2022, we were unaware of the timing uh, with the state. So this just gives them additional time to wait for that uh, request. The second portion is related to a credit of $100,000 toward the sales price. So we would reduce the sales price by $100,000 to allow the purchaser to use those funds in the event that they do close to go after uh, surface waivers for the mineral rights, the mineral interest on the property. Uh, Staff recommends that's the the best solution into moving this project forward and and closing on the property in the event that uh, they get a resolution from the state. Happy to answer any questions, Mayor.
0: All right, starting on my left, are there any questions for Mr. Moore? Okay, my left. Okay. Are there any questions, council? Any council members? All right. Hearing none. Thank you all very much. All right. I am ready to, at this time, receive a motion.
1: Move to approve.
0: Thank you, Ms. Short. Second. Thank you, Mr. Lewis. Questions, comments, hearing none. Please cast your vote. Item carries 7 Zero. Thank you very much. We're going to um, hold on item 24-586465 rather until the public uh, session. All right. Moving right along to item 24-5866. It's a resolution. Resolution of the City Council of the City of Mansfield, Texas, approving a professional services contract between the City of Mansfield, Texas, and Park Hill Inc. in an amount to not to exceed. Uh, four million eight hundred thirteen dollars four hundred and excuse me four million eight hundred and thirteen thousand four hundred and ninety dollars for the design and engineering services related to the Mansfield City Hall. Finding that uh, the meeting at which this resolution is passed is open to the public, as required by law, and declaring an effective date. All right, and we're talking about 2024 certificates of obligation, Mr. Jones.
4: Thank you, Mayor. Yes, sir. Uh, you all authorized authorized staff to negotiate a contract with Park Hill for the design services of City Hall. At your last meeting, we were able to successfully do that. Uh, they are using our standard professional services agreement as part of the contract and also attached to your agenda was Exhibit A, which is their scope of work. Uh, they've broken it down into three phases for us uh, through project delivery uh, and construction management and they've provided a detailed list of those services uh, we did issue certificates of obligation um, debt uh, for the design services this year and this actually came in under uh, what we had earmarked for these services so we're happy to present this contract to your uh, for your consideration tonight and I'm happy to answer any questions you might have
0: all right council do we have any questions on my left go ahead
7: mr. Brosh yes thank you yes sir mayor Matt uh, you say that that the contract was per uh, a contract that, that the city shows. Yes, sir. Uh, did does it? And, and I'm I'm looking at the general contract. I'm fine with. I get down to the uh, reimbursement uh, tab down on page 21, and I just find it really distasteful. And I'm surprised if our city is the one specifying that. It it uh, it's such things as. Uh, they, if if we ever had to use someone from there for uh, expert witness, if we ever got caught up into a, a legal issue, uh, they will charge time and a half. Uh, they will charge 15% above IRS regulated uh, mileage. Just, I mean, it, these are small things, but it uh, it kind of strikes me as, as being distasteful when I see excessive numbers like that, can you? Yes,
13: um, Council Member Broch, I I can go ahead and address that. That is part of their fee schedule, so that's an attachment that Park Hill provided to us, but our contract would be the controlling one. So if there's anything that conflicts with that, our contract would be the one to control. Any additional charges above and beyond the 4.8 million, they would have to come to us for approval before we proceed with anything of that sort. And so what they've provided as, and what you're looking at, is the very last page, which is their Exhibit C, and that's their Park Hill hourly rate schedule. So that's in case we ever needed anything above and beyond what we've already asked them for, which is the initial $4.8 million. They would be billed at those prices, but we would have to approve that prior to proceeding with anything.
7: Okay, so if, if they were under, and just to, uh and I'll get off this quickly. You're okay. if, if they were, uh, under budget and we did need uh, uh, we needed an expert witness or they according to what I'm reading under their contract they would be allowed to charge the time and a half and as long as they were under the uh, the budget now if they went over the budget I guess what you're saying is that our contract would would fall into play and you can't go over that particular number
13: So the way that the contract is structured is their scope of services, which is everything before the very last page that you're referencing is what is approved. Anything that we would require them to give us above and beyond the scope of services that we've asked for, they would need to come and get approval for. So we would have to ask them specifically for those services. And once we ask them for that, what they would be charging us is going to be on a hourly rate based on that last page that you're looking at. So we would have to ask them for those services specifically.
7: Okay. And we just, is, is that a normal practice for us to pay the 15% over uh, on mileage? No, or no is that is, just
13: this, is, this is a Park Hill document. That is the very last page is a is an hourly fee that they provided to us. And so our, our normal standard contract does not include that. We just attach their, their hourly schedule to our contract.
7: Okay, okay.
2: Okay, sir. I'm good. Okay, questions answered. All right, Tim, all right, go ahead, Ms. Bounds. Just a couple of questions here. Um, So for the contract for the deliverables, is there any timeframe that we would expect um, each of those areas to come forth so that we would be able to see? Yes, we do have a
4: a timetable here. So here's their rough timetable. Uh, for putting those together, uh, but then also in here uh, they did put a timeline um, on page 2 of Exhibit A. I apologize, I don't know what that is in your packet, uh, but for Task 1, the pre-design services is estimated at 2 to 3 months, uh, the design services 6 to 10, and then construction administration services is the 16 to 20 months.
2: Okay, so they just address that front up and not with each area of the deliverables, right? Yes, ma'am, correct.
4: They define it by task. Okay, thank
0: you. Right, any others? Mr. Lewis, Mr. Newsom, you guys good? All right. All right, everybody's good. All right, thank you very much. Then I will call for a motion. Move to approve. All right, Mr. Lewis. Second. Thank you, Mr. Brosh. All right, questions. Hearing none. Please cast your votes. That item carries seven zero. right. Item 24-5868. It's a resolution. Resolution of the City Council of the City of Mansfield, Texas, accepting a petition for and calling a public hearing on the uh, advisability of the improvements and creation is the City of Mansfield Public Improvement District Number 2, within the corporate limits of the city of Mansfield, pursuant to Chapter 372, Texas Local Government Code, and authorizing the mailing and publication of Notice of the Public Hearing, Mr. Jones.
4: Thank you, Mayor. This is just a resolution calling the uh, public hearing uh, for March 4th, Uh, so an upcoming city council meeting. This is for the Kenny Tract. It would be a public improvement district. Uh, Different from other uh, PIDs where you issue bonds, And then the assessments go to pay back those bonds that are actually non-recourse to the city. Uh, This is what we call a cash flow PID. And so the assessments would actually go to reimburse the developer. So the city would not actually issue any bonds. Those assessments would go back to pay the developer. Um, Just want to give you a brief rundown on what that looks like. But tonight before you is simply a resolution authorizing the public hearing and calling for that on, on March the 4th. Um, at which time we will have the PID team here to walk you through the details of what that looks like.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Questions to my right? Everybody good? My left? All right. All is well. Thank you very much. I will call for a motion.
1: Move to approve.
0: Thank you, Ms. Short. May I receive a second? Second. Thank you, Mr. Tenora. All right, call question. Hearing none. All right. Please cast your vote. And the motion carries 7-0. Thank you very much. All right. We move now to item number 24-5869. That too is a resolution. Resolution of the City Council of City of Mansfield, Texas, rejecting any and all proposals concerning the Mansfield multi Use Stadium and Harvest Point, CMAR, and authorizing the advertising and notice of a new request for proposals for said project, finding that the meeting at which this resolution is passed is open to the public as required by law and providing an effective date. All right, Mr. Moore. Thank you, Mayor, good evening, Council.
12: So, in conjunction with uh, another item on new business, the uh, twenty-four fifty-eight sixty-five, we we wanted to give an opportunity for um, uh, proposals to be resubmitted. And so, by rejecting all of these proposals tonight, we can go back out in a formal process. We'll begin that immediately to look for construction managers at risk for the multi-purpose stadium. So, I'm happy to answer any questions council may have.
0: All right. Council, you have any questions regarding this? Uh, To my left, Mr. Tenora. No. Okay. Mr. Brown, everybody good on my left. Ms. Short. On my right, Mr. Lewis. All right. All right. Well, I will call for a motion.
7: Moved to approve.
0: Second. Thank you, Mr. Tenora. And I believe that was Mr. Lewis. All right. Call question. That item carries seven zero as well, and item twenty four five eight three three review and consideration of a detailed site plan at the Vistas at Walnut Ridge for bank use on approximately one point four three eight acres, being lot six block one Vistas at Walnut Ridge at ten sixty one North State Highway 360, Kelly Construction Group, Inc., developer Bannister Engineering, LLC, engineer and Texas Trust Credit Union is the owner. The DS number 23 010, Mr. Alexander. Thank you,
3: Honorable Mayor. Good evening, City Council. This is a request for review and consideration for a detailed site plan for a PD plant development district that was first adopted. in 2006 and has been amended several times since then. Here is an aerial view of the property and it is generally located at the northwestern corner of the toll road 360 and East Broad Street interchange. Here are just some photographs of the site. Here is a detailed site plan. It is for a banking branch, which is a use that is permitted pursuant to the provisions of this PD Plant Development District. Here is the landscaping plan. It does comply with the provisions of the PD Plant Development District, as well as section 155.092 that deals with landscaping. And then here are the elevations. It is a building that's constructed primarily of stone. There is some hardy plank, and there is some ephis as well. And the use of the ephis is primarily for the canopy structure over the drive-through facility for the ATM machines. And here are some other elevations of the proposed project. There is a request in the packet to deviate from some of the requirements as it pertains to masonry and also as it pertains to signage. The first one dealing with masonry is that the provisions of the PDE Plant Development District, they go back to the requirements are set forth in a community design standards that has minimum standards for the use of masonry. They're asking for an increase in EFIS, again, to deal with that canopy structure that's over their drive-through facility. And they are also asking for a deviation from the requirement that there is only one wall sign that is permitted per lot frontage, and that is to allow three additional wall signs, which would, in effect, have signage on all elevations. And here is a sign plan that kind of shows that. And it also kind of shows how the applicant was doing their very best to incorporate that additional wall signage into the development plan for this project. The Department of Planning and Development Services does recommend approval of the detailed site plan with the requested deviations. And I'll pause there to answer any questions that you may have. I am not sure if the applicant is here, Mayor City Council. All right, thank you, sir.
0: Council, any questions? I'll start again on my left. I see heads nodding. No. On my right, yes, Mr. Lewis. Thank you, Mayor. Um,
9: Mr. Alexander, the, there is no EFIS on the actual building. It's just for the canopy structure? Correct. And in a motion, I see staff's comments that the canopy structure, the columns that support it should be encapsulated with stone that match the building. Is that in the presentation or do we need to make sure that that is included in the motion
3: is included in a motion sir okay if approved okay thank you all right are there any more
0: yeah. go ahead mr.
8: Newsom hey Jason um, on the uh, back to the picture where it showed the drive-throughs does it okay does that one section does it not cover I'm assuming that far is an ATM um, is it partially covered or fully covered it's hard to
3: tell so it's mostly covered there's still that escape lane that isn't covered entirely to the very northern part of the plan
8: okay and do you know is there intent for the um, power lines to remain or do they or they anticipate that those will go below ground
3: they will have to go below ground per requirements of zoning
8: okay all right Um, not the ones leading up i guess maybe the ones that are up and down 360. Is that those will go below ground?
3: Well, the ones that are up and down 360, and there are quite a few, but there are some that can't go underground. But the provisions and zoning are very specific about which ones have to go underground. Okay. All right. Thank you.
0: All right. Go ahead, Mr. Lewis. I was just going to make a motion when it's All done. right, I'm ready to receive that motion, sir. All right,
9: make a motion to approve subject to the columns that support the Canby structure for the drive-through facility be encapsulated in stone that matches the building exterior finish. All right. And the request for the three additional signs.
0: Okay, motion and. Second. Second, all right. Mr. Newsom. Questions or comments? Ms. Bounds, I saw you. Do you have No, I'm good. All right. That item carries 7-0. All right. Council, at this time, we'll take five, and uh, we will recess for about five minutes, and we'll come back at 6 o'clock. Thank you all very much for good work. Good evening ladies and gentlemen we would like to reconvene into our regular business session at 6 p.m. we will have an invocation by mr. Desmond Hay Texas Health Hospital Mansfield a pledge of allegiance by mr. Casey Lewis and we will have our Texas pledge by mr. Brosh mr. Larry Brosh and then after which we'll have presentations I will ask uh, those who are uh, present with us today that during our prayer and our pledges, men would please remove their hats if you have them on. All right, we're standing at this time. All right. All right, I don't see Mr. Hay. All right, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to serve. God, we pray your blessings over the city of Mansfield. God, be our guide. Keep us safe. Keep us well. We lift up those, Lord God, in, in other cities who find themselves in harm's way. Please, Lord God, keep your hand of protection over us. Give us wisdom. And Lord God, help us to always have a compassionate heart in service. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Bless you. Lord, you. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America to the republic for
14: which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Honor the Texas flag, I pledge allegiance to the city Texas,
0: one state, under God, one, indivisible. Thank you very much. We have at this time a presentation of the Achievement of Excellence Award to the Mansfield Public Library. I'm going to ask Ms. Yolanda Patello if she would come forward at this time. And I believe Council, we are to go down and to join them. Correct? All right, Ms. Patello has the mic. (laughs) (laughs)
15: Thank you all for, for having us here tonight. Um, we wanted to recognize uh, the library for ha- receiving um, the li- Achievement of Library of Excellence Award from the TM- TMLDA, which is Texas uh, Municipal Library Directors Association um, through TML. And this is, the, I believe, the 14th year that we have received it and uh, consecutively the seventh. Um, this award ha- comes out to libraries who show their ability to serve their communities um, through public service, through digital inclusion, um, professional development all around and how we're, we're providing for our community. We want to recognize our staff and our library board of all very Uh, much the people who make this happen for us. Uh, We are one of 84 public libraries out of 545 in Texas who have received this award, and that makes us in the top 15%. So we don't actually have a physical award. They moved away from those, but (laughs) yes. I do want to recognize our staff again, our board, and all the support we have from the city in being able to do what we do. Thank you.
0: Thank you. All right. Thank you, Ms. Botello. You do an outstanding job. You have an awesome team, and we appreciate you. We really do. All right, we move now to our citizens' comments, citizens wishing to address the council on non-public hearing uh, agenda items and items not on the agenda. You may do so at this time due to the regulations of the Texas Open Meetings Act. Please do not expect a response from the council because we're not able to do so. Uh, This will be your only opportunity to speak unless you are speaking on a scheduled public hearing item. Now, after the close of the citizen comments portion of the meeting, only comments related to public hearings will be heard. Uh, All comments are limited to five minutes. In order to be recognized during citizens' comments or during a uh, public hearing, applicants included, please, if you would complete a blue or yellow card located at the entrance of the chambers and presented to the Assistant City Secretary seated to my right and to your left. As a reminder, this will be your only opportunity to speak unless you are speaking on a scheduled public hearing item. Again, the council may not respond due to regulations of the Texas Open Meetings Act. Ms. Marin, do we have a card? Yes, ma'am. All right. Mr. John Presley is coming at this time and Mr. Presley, if you just offer your name and your address for the record, please, sir.
14: My name is John Presley. I live at 1306 Brittany lane, mayor city council manager, city council member, men and women. I am John Presley. I'm here representing Mansfield cares along with several of our board members. Mansfield Cares was formed on August the 2nd, 1999 by a group of concerned citizens who felt there was more could be done for those less fortunate in our community. Since our inception, we have donated over $4 million to our community. The main fundraiser activity for Mansfield Cares is the annual charity ball that is held in February at Walnut Creek Country Club. This year, our charity ball is on February 24th at Walnut Creek. Our purpose is to fill any needs that are not already met or being met by other local charities and organizations in our community. In 2023, Mansfield Cares opened the Mansfield Cares Medical Clinic located at 1670 East Broad Street. The clinic provided non-emergency medical care to anyone in need from the ages of 5 years old to an adult In a first come, first served basis. In 2009, our dream of building a facility to provide free, low cost health care for those who qualified was realized with the opening of the Nix Family Caring Place. In 2013, we completed the Mansfield Mansfield Caring Center, a 15,000 square foot warehouse which houses a local food bank operated by Harvesting International Ministries. Because of Mansfield Cares, we are proud to say that the Harvesting International Ministries has been operating the food bank for the last 13 years rent-free and currently are serving over 43,000 people every month in our community. In 2019, Mansfield Cares gifted the Nick Center to the Mansfield Mission to enable them to better serve the mission to help Mansfield's residents in a physical and financial way. July 2023, Mansfield Cares donated $32,000 to Feed the Kids and allowed them to provide meals for over 15,000 children and families who are unable to receive nourishing meals during the summer programs. This was the largest single donation to date Feed the Kids has ever received. Mansfield Cares is the largest donor to the MISD scholarship program. Last year, we donated over $16,500 in scholarships to our local students. In 2023, we donated $35,000 in food vouchers for the holidays and $7,800 in shoe vouchers so our local children could have a new pair of shoes for their first day of school. In reality, this is a typical year for Mansfield Cares donations. Mansfield Cares is extremely proud to say that over 94% of the money that we raise goes straight to our community. I'd like to invite each of y'all here today to attend our gala this year on February 24th. Our theme for this year is shaken, not stirred. It's a James Bond theme. We look forward to seeing you there. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Thank you very much, sir. That's right. Yeah, go ahead and clap. That's a good thing. All right. Thank you all very much. All right. this time, Council... Announcements will be had. This is our 11th item. I will begin. Mr. Brosh. All right. Mr. Tenor. Ms. Short. All right. Mr. Newsome?
8: Uh None other than it's good to see John in a different color besides green for a change. So <laughs> he does have more than one color in his wardrobe.
0: <laughs> All right. All right. Ms. Biles. None for me, Mayor. All right. Mr. Lewis. None for me, sir. All right. And let me just just say this about Mansfield Cares. They are a number one for those who are looking and listening. Please know this is one of the top philanthropic organizations in our city. I will not be able to make the event, but we are purchasing a table just for the record. And now that it's being recorded, I will have to buy a table. So (laughs) I just want you to know that. All right. But listen, we appreciate the great work that Mansfield Cares continues to do in our community. All right, moving right along, we are at uh, item number 13, the staff comments. Mr. Smolinski.
5: Mayor, I'll ask Tim to come down if, if you don't
16: mind. All right. Thank you, management. Thank you, mayor and council. We wanted to give a quick update from community engagement about a brand new event we are launching, one we're really excited about. It is February 24th at the lot downtown. Uh, it's called Venues, Vendors, and Vibes, uh, and it is going to be our very first event expo. And we want to just kind of give a quick background of how we kind of landed on this to be the new event that we wanted to put into our repertoire that we do annually. Uh, we always kind of start with a, a why we try not to start with what we want to do but why we want to do it when we plan an event <clears throat> so we start with five main keys uh, the first is we wanted to utilize the lot downtown and its unique footprint We uh, want to support local business clearly support the tourism industry within the city attract first time event attendees our events are amazing and they're very heavily focused towards the family demographic that's so strong here in Mansfield and we wanted to broaden it a little bit we love that demographic more than anything but this is a chance to kind of stretch that out and last but not least be sure we're guided by our cultural arts master plan and everything we kind of plan within community engagement Uh, this one fits into spot number four which is cultivate authentic cultural community so when we look at the events industry Uh, The thing that kind of stands out, of course, is weddings. This will be at at all sorts of events that you can plan from this event expo on the 24th, but these are the numbers we're looking at when we talk about the wedding industry in Texas. The average wedding costs $30,000 now, and that's average, and that's true here in Mansfield. That's not just your downtown Dallas prices. Over 100 people attend each wedding. Each person who travels to a wedding estimates they're going to spend between $200 and $300 on travel and accommodations. Uh, a good one-fifth of weddings don't occur on weekends. Obviously, very weekend heavy, but a lot of them happen midweek. And for every dollar spent for a wedding, it leads to about $1.50 added to the local economy. So when we're talking about trying to, to support the local economy, we see those first one and the fifth one as really key things of generating money. But then on the tourism side of things, what this opens up is a whole new way to track and get those extra 10 or 15 percent room nights that we're sometimes lacking on weekends or especially during weekdays. About half of wedding attendees typically travel in for a wedding. And the best part about this is is tourism marketing, when you're trying to grab, obviously our, our main demographic is Tournaments that's not going anywhere. We fill in our rooms that way, but you're always up to 10 or 15 percent You're trying to hit that hundred percent every single weekend When you're trying to catch somebody from out of state who's just coming to the Metroplex for vacation You're throwing a dart trying to hit them from 50 yards away Sometimes you do most of the time you don't the best thing about this is we can hyper market here locally to those planning an event and if you're planning a wedding even if you're to a Mansfield couple grandma and grandpa are coming in from New York, your bridesmaids are coming from California, your groomsmen's coming from Florida, and that fills in our room nights. We can easily see 50 or 60 people staying in our rooms for a small to mid-sized wedding. That's a small conference that we've booked just by raising awareness amongst local Mansfield residents to hold their events here in the city. Uh, so far, the event is going great. We have nine event venues that are recognized out there, over 20 vendors, and we've received over 1,000 RSVPs so far. Obviously, using wedding math, that means 500 people are going to show up. We're trying to get it over that 1,000, but it's had an amazing impact so far, and we're looking forward to how it grows this year and into future years. Uh, And Before I wrap, I just got to, of course, give a shout-out to the amazing team over there that started this event process over a year ago. Uh, Planning every event is a lot like planning a wedding. You're worried about who's gonna show up, you want the day to be perfect. The only difference is, is brides and grooms don't have to squeegee stages uh, to make sure the dance crew can hit there. Uh, So just wanna hit one more time, February 24th. It'll be every kind of event for every budget. It's not just weddings. And if you're not actively planning an event, still come on out, there's gonna be free food and music. So you can't ask for much more. We're really excited about how this can really grow a lot of different industries keep events here in Mansfield, grow that, that theme for us and attract those guests in. So if you have any questions, I'll be happy to answer right now.
0: All right, let's hear from our city manager.
14: So the event ends at 4 p.m.? Yes. John, what time do you guys start? That's right, yep. 7. 7. Seven. Seven. so you got
0: – everyone has plenty okay, work, of time work, work, to go home, get time. cleaned right.
14: up, and make it out to Mansfield cares, so –
0: when Tim came up, I said, oh, my God, now we got a schedule conflict. But we're good.
14: <laughs> what
17: were the chances of that? Yeah, pandemic? we're good.
0: All right. Any 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 questions, any statements to be made? Whew, 30 grand. Thank you. <laughs> That's my statement. All right. Moving right along. We'll move to item 17. Let me just uh, make make note here in regard to um, our public hearings and, and the agenda itself. A lot of the business uh, we took care of in the earlier part of our meeting on the day, but we've always said, and we are keeping to this, that when it comes to public hearings and things of that nature, that will always take place during our public uh, portion, public session. So we want everyone to have an opportunity to uh, give comments in that regard. All right. So with that said, we're item 24-5839. It's an ordinance, public hearing and consideration of an ordinance of the city of Mansfield Texas setting forth the standards of care for the parks and recreation departments kids zone program for the city of Mansfield providing for the operational standards of the administration for the program providing for the inspecting monitoring and enforcement of the standards of care. Providing for the staffing levels training and responsibilities for those working in the program Providing for a facility standards providing for the repeal of all ordinances in conflict Providing for a cumulative clause providing for a severability clause providing for publication as required by law Providing for an effective date and now providing the information is Matt Young.
7: Thank you, Mayor and Council. Uh, as you know, but in case anyone
9: at home is, does not know, KidZone is a supervised program run through the Mansfield Activity Center yes, for children ages 6 through 11. Uh, we offer Kids KidZone during the summer months and during MISD holidays and, and breaks. Activities include uh, trips to local parks and attractions, but they also have daily games, arts and crafts, and other activities that they participate in. These are the minimal standards by which the Mansfield Parks and Recreation Department
11: will operate the kids' Zone program. It is considered to be recreational in nature and not a daycare operation. So with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions.
0: Council, are there any questions to my left, to
11: my right?
7: All
0: right, hearing none, seeing none. I will open our public hearing at 6.19 p.m. Do we have any cards, ma'am? No cards. No cards. I will close our public hearing. Hearing at nine at six nineteen p.m., and I will call for a motion. Motion to approve. Second, right. Okay, Ms. Bounds and Mr. Brosh. All right. Cash of votes, and the motion carries seven zero. All right. Item 18, public hearing and first and final readings. All right, item 24-5850, ordinance public hearing and first and final reading on an ordinance approving proposed amendments of chapter 155 of the Mansfield Code of Ordinances to revise section 155.054B, a permitted use table permitting donation boxes as an accessory use by right in the 2F MF-1, MF-2, OP, C1, C2, C3, I1, and I2 districts and to amend the regulations in section 155.099 B40 related to donation boxes OA number 24-001, Mr. Alexander.
3: Thank you, Mayor. City Council, this is a request From the department of planning and development services to amend two sections that dealing with the permitted use table in section 155.054 and in particular with the permitted use table as it currently stands donation boxes require a specific use permit in the op c1 c2 c3 and i1 zoning districts and it is allowed by right in the I-2 zoning districts. What we are proposing is to allow it as an accessory use by right in the 2F, the MF-1, MF-2, OP, C-1, C-2, C-3, I-1, and I-2 zoning districts. And I know that's a mouthful with the various zoning designations, but to break that down a little bit further, the 2F zoning district primarily deals with row houses or townhomes, and duplexes. The MF1 and MF2 deal with multifamily. And then the OP, C1, C2, and C3 zoning districts deal with office park and varying degrees of commercial activity in our commercial zoning districts. And then finally, I1 and I2 dealing with industrial property. In terms of the special conditions is section 155.099, we have amended this section before but in particular we want to make sure that the amendments that we're providing before you tonight for review and consideration that they are not only consistent with the first amendment of the united states constitution but also making sure that our department of regulatory compliance can enforce and that we have regulations on the books are easy for our not-for-profits to understand when it comes to donation boxes So, the first proposed amendment is that donation boxes are limited to locations in the rear yards and side yards, and that's to prevent them from being up front of buildings or in front of buildings and creating an aesthetic appearance that may not be sightly and could be detrimental to some of our businesses and even property values. The second thing is to provide a definition for open space. Previously, we did not have that and it references the definition that is in Section 155.012, as well as passive space as it is defined and referenced in Section 155.092, Landscaping. It's staying there for a moment on passive space. That's just ensuring that we don't have donation boxes in areas where the public can come and gather, Mm -hmm. such as an outdoor seating or dining area. And then in terms of The distance requirement is that no parcel of land will be permitted to have more than one donation box unless a parcel of land has more than 300 feet of frontage. And that's to ensure that at least 300 feet separates two donation boxes. And then a mixed use or multiple use development will still be considered one contiguous lot and those distance requirements would still apply. In terms of protection for our residential and agricultural areas. No donation box could be located within 75 feet of any parcel that is zoned as a agricultural district or our various single-family residential zoning districts. And to protect the economic vitality of our key corridors, which are U.S. Highway 287, U.S. Business Highway 287, State Highway 360. That includes the frontage road plus the toll roads, making sure that we don't have donation boxes within 500 feet of them. Advertising as proposed will be prohibited. Each donation box will be required to have the name and contact information of the property owner, the property manager, or the owner of the donation box. That's to make it easier for the Department of Regulatory Compliance to go out and to find the operators of these boxes in case of any conflict with our requirements or if there is a need to cite. And then no donation box shall be one greater than 175 cubic feet in volume or 72 inches in height. And. No donation box can be placed on any parts of land without prior written approval. That's from the property owner. And the operator of that donation box must be able to provide written approval within two days if requested by the director of regulatory compliance, making sure that donation boxes are neutral or earth tone in color and that they are free of debris graffiti, litter, and the like. And again, this is a companion item to the text amendments that came before you on January 22nd of 2024 and that were approved by you. The Planning and Zoning Commission met on January 23rd of 2024 and voted 7-0 to to recommend approval of the text amendments that are in front of you this evening and department of planning and development services recommends the same i'll pause there to answer any questions city council may have thank you sir On my right any questions for mr alexander go ahead mr Nicholson.
8: yeah just is there a reason why we're including 2f
3: Yes, sir. The reason for that was to make sure that we were capturing some of the residential zoning districts in order to ensure that we were consistent with the provisions of the United States Constitution dealing with the First Amendment and freedom of speech.
8: Okay, thank you for the clarification.
3: All right, all right. My
0: left, we good? All right, all right, thank you very much. Then I will open the public hearing at 6:26 uh, p.m. Ms. Marin, do we have any cards, ma'am? All right, if not, I will close the public hearing at 6:26 uh, p.m. and I will call for a motion.
1: Move to approve.
0: Thank you, Ms. Short. Second. Thank you, Mr. Brosh, I believe. All right, questions? Hearing not. please cast your votes. That item carries seven zero. All right, item 19. 24-5851, this is a public hearing and first reading, ordinance, public hearing first reading on an ordinance approving a change of zoning from a PR, pre-development district to PD, plan development district for a mixed lot, single family residential development on 32.352 acres. Out of the James McDonald survey, abstract number 997, Tarrant County, Texas, located at 1970 North Main, Uh, Kenny Family Living Trust the owner of Acadia Realty Corporation, developed ZC zoning case number 23-018. Mr. Alexander.
3: Thank you, Mayor. Yes, sir. This is a request to rezone property from PR, Pre-Development District, to PD, Plant Development District. Here's an aerial view of the property on North Main Street just a little bit shy north of the Performing Arts Center and the intersection of North Main Street and West Debbie Lane. Here are some photographs, generally, of the site. And again, the current zoning is PR, Pre-Development District. And the Mansfield 2040 Land Use Plan designation for the property is Suburban Neighborhood. And here's a character image of what that can look like. And then in terms of the proposal that is in front of you tonight, it will consist of 215 homes attached and detached single family. And the developer has three different product types proposed within that 215 home mix. Approximately 4.3 acres of it is open space. I do want to point out in this area here, there are conversations ongoing with the developer to provide amenities in the form of a neighborhood services center that is consistent with city council strategic priorities for bringing services closer to residents and helping to also activate that open space there along the back portion of the proposed development It would contain, if approved, a mixture of alley and front-entry garages. The front-entry garages are generally along the perimeter of the proposed development, and then the open spaces consist of mews, paseos, and active lawn and play areas where I'll yield to the developer to go into further detail on the activation and the programming of those spaces. And this is a larger view of the proposed site plan. And here is an analysis of the grading for the site. And we wanted to make sure that we provided this as, generally speaking, the site does slope from the southwestern corner there to the northeast there. And I know that the developer is working hard to make sure that they are very sensitive to grading on the site, as well as making sure that the surrounding property owners, that their interests are preserved and protected. And one of the reasons why we wanted to provide this visual is to demonstrate kind of the height of the proposed homes along the perimeter of this development and what that will look like in juxtaposition with the existing homes that are duplexes, generally speaking, due north of the site. And this is a landscaping plan, again, showing the open spaces, and then showing that the streets and the alleys that are proposed to be in this development that they are well landscaped and that there is a rhythm to the streetscapes, particularly for the thoroughfares that will serve this site. And I would be remiss if I didn't bring to your attention here that the developer is working on an elevated design for the entry feature into the neighborhood. And again, I will yield to them on that to go further in detail, but it does draw inspiration from some of the entry features that you would expect to find in Highland Park on Mockingbird Lane. Here are some of the building elevations that have been proposed, and I will run through these rather quickly, uh, not for the sake of time, but to yield to the developer and also to share more about the collaborative effort that's taken place between developer and department of planning and development services with respect to architecture and urban design. What I would bring to your immediate attention is that those conversations have focused on providing frontages in some shape, form, or fashion for all of the residential product types in front of you this evening for consideration. And that could take the form of a porch, a stoop, or what isn't shown currently, but What is desired to be worked on, if approved, door yards. And these are the row house elevations. And they take inspiration from some other projects that the developer has worked on. And when we engage the developer on ways to maybe address some of the missed opportunities and some of the lessons learned from their previous projects. We showed them some examples of some of the things that we are looking for vis-a-vis the Mansfield 2040 plan and your direction and guidance as a body. Hence the desire to introduce dooryard frontages. Also working with them in terms of maybe creating a more urban aesthetic for the row houses and then even providing opportunities for stoops. And then even wanting to introduce more of Corbolt Brick and some other details that kind of help create that more traditional look for row houses, which resulted in this in front of you. And I wanna pause here for a moment and talk about this image in particular because it demonstrates how when a vision can be set and can be shared, that there can be collaboration with respect to architecture, how you can get images such as this. And this is one of the prototypes that the developer is committed to introducing to this development. And at a minimum, they will have one row of row houses that would draw inspiration from this. And this is the second one, the Southwest Modern that they are proposing. And I'll let them speak more to those introductions for architectural aesthetic and character for the row houses. The Planning and Zoning Commission, they did meet on January 23rd, 2024, and they did vote seven to zero to recommend approval with the following conditions. These are summarized but that there would be porches and stoops for all township lots. And essentially, those are the residential products that are in the form of detached single family that have front-facing garages. Currently, the provisions of the proposed PD plant development district do not require porches or stoops. They did introduce that into the language Uh, consistency and exterior finish on all sides. So making sure that whatever materials are on the front elevation continue along the sides and the rear, making sure that the retaining walls are constructed of brick or stone, providing minimum standards for building height, providing additional details for stucco, Uh, ensuring that we don't see ephys, but true hard coat stucco and that accessory dwelling units be designed in accordance with the provisions in section 155.099 that were adopted by city council last year the proposed pd plan development district has incorporated the vast majority of all of those recommendations that came from the planning and zoning commission and what the department of planning and development services would recommend if the request from developer is approved at the first hearing and reading is that there be an opportunity to revise and perhaps beef up the definitions and standards for door yards and stoops to give height to the stoops to allow door yards to encroach to create more of that urban look particularly within the heart of the development and ensure that the definitions are consistent with those that we have had in other PD plant development districts that have come before you and in both of our form-based development districts. To also require that the use of exterior insulating finishing systems, EFIS and vinyl be prohibited. And then in terms of predictability, not just for the developer, but also for the consumer to identify on a detailed site plan where the lots that would have split garages would be located, so that way it makes it easier for us on the review and permitting side. And it also identifies to prospective consumers what type of garage details they would be looking at or could consider for their future homes. And with that, Mayor, if I may, yield to the developer they do have a presentation and both the developer and i will be available for questions if you have them sure
0: council is that okay let's hear from our developer all right thank you very much thank sir. you and as our developers come just please state your name as well as address and you may give the card to our assistant city secretary
18: I'm John Hodge. I'm with Arcadia Realty. Uh, I live on Kelsey Road in Dallas, Texas. Um, you have a rock star staff here. It has been delightful to work with Jason, other Jason, Matt, Joe, Artie, Artie here. But, um, you know, we've been doing this for 35 years and we have, I can't even count how many communities and homes we've developed over the years. Um, We have a special interest in traditional neighborhoods and new urbanism. Um, I I would like to think we're one of the leaders in that, in the DFW area. Um, I've got to say though, of of everything we've done over the years, um, I'm having the most fun with this, And, and it's because of the guys that you have working with the city. We have learned a lot, and we have introduced features into this community that that are new for us and and sort of cutting edge and so we're really looking forward to having the opportunity to work with you and uh, i'm going to turn it over to alex hodge we're joined by alex hodge he's a project manager at arcadia our engineer brian Dench is with land design uh, mr kenny the landowner glenn kenny and royce lee his uh a representative the community is named kenny park after mr kenny And I've got to thank you, too, Mr. Kenny. It's being a seller, this is a complicated deal, and the zoning process takes a while. It takes a very thoughtful um, sort of patient seller to work with us on this because, you know, we're tying their property up for a long time. So I'm also grateful to Mr. Kenny and his family for supporting us in this. So.
17: How's it going, everybody? Uh, Alex Hodge with Arcadia. Uh, I live on 4323 Gilbert, uh, unit number two in Dallas, Texas. Um, There's a few of these that I may skip through because I don't want to be redundant with Jason, but uh, do, oh, clicker, okay, here we go. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, I'm excited to present to you Kenny Park. Kenny Park is a unique community Program towards walkability and open space connectivity. The architecture is tuned towards traditional and transitional styles, creating this special neighborhood. Kenny is 32 acres. Uh, this is kind of what Jason's gone through, located near Perf- Performing Arts Center. Um, One thing I do wanna kinda touch on a little more that Jason brought up was the grade across the site. Um, I'm gonna grab this. Uh, So going from here to here is about a five-story building in grade. So if you're sitting on the lower side of the project, you're basically looking up at a five-story building. And then from this point here to there, it's about a three-story building. So you have all these different grades going different directions, uh, and it's really made the site challenging towards kind of a watchmaking effort, but uh, it's been fun to work on. Oh, clear. Um, So the red line here is the existing grade of the site, and this is a cross-section. If you look in the top right-hand corner from the first view that I was talking to you all about, And so the existing grade is in the blue here. And so what we're trying to do is get that down as level as possible, scooping from that high side and flattening it out across the site. So as we get further into the project, uh, 32-acre site, 214 homes. Uh, The townhomes are 25 by 90s. uh, And those are in the salmon color right there. The casitas, we have 46 units of those. Uh, They're in the red um, on this exhibit. And then the township homes are all on the perimeter, and those are 50 by 110 foot lots. So uh, this neighborhood is largely inspired by open space and walkability. And this is one of my favorite renderings here because there's so much going on but it gives you a really good feel for what this site could be. Um, As you enter the project, you have a terminating view onto this structure here. And then as you enter the first park, it's connected to a green street. So this is the Paseo leading to the green street that's cutting through here to the second park up here. So it's all connected and very pedestrian friendly, which we're really excited how it all turned out and how it's connected. Um, So the inspiration for the entry to the site is inspired from Highland Park, as Jason mentioned. Loma Linda uh, was built in 1927, so it's almost 100 years old at this point. And uh, we believe our version of Loma Linda will also be timeless. Um, We have decorative wall complementing the pedestrian gateway, uh, along with decorative pavers and landscaping at the front of the decorative wall. So I really love this park. Uh, You have the terrace kind of stepping down to the little fire pit right here. Um, and so that'll have ground covering on each terrace level leading into this uh, fire pit area where you can smoke a cigar have some wine and watch your kids have soccer soccer practice on this park here and here was the terminating view that i'm talking about Um, and as we get further into this uh, we'll go to this paseo here and there are several structures uh, it's kind of hard to see there but uh, that you will pass through as a pedestrian as you're walking through this community. And so this is the structure, uh, similar to what the structure will be that you're walking through as you travel this community. Um, And so uh, our Paseo leads to our Green Street. Uh, The Paseo is gonna be 20 foot wide um, and all of the homes along the Paseo are required to have enhanced architectural features. So not only that, there's going to be a low fence so that the pedestrian can enjoy these architectural features. It's an amenity to this project. So you'll be walking through the Paseo, low fence, and you'll be able to have all these uh, uh, garden rooms, uh, porches that wrap around the front of the homes, that are just really pleasing to the pedestrian. Uh, And going back real quick, uh, we have a structure here for sitting area, another area to have wine and uh, just hang out with your friends and chit chat. Uh, This is what you could kind of imagine to go there, but with more seating. Um, As we move to this North Park uh, up here, we have a playground that has several different types of playground equipment we have a slide symmetric netting spinners a swing set um, and these are all geared towards children six months to 12 years and so both of these parks what i really love about them is you could have a six month old in here and then you could have an 80 year old out here too Uh, so it's just really diverse in the age category. Uh, we do have benches on both parks. I forgot to mention on the last park that we have benches. Uh, these will have uh, benches, trash receptacles, and then we'll also have doggy stations because um, if you're like me, you love your dogs, and I have one at home that I hope's not eating something. Um, here is the... Bodega building that we talked about that Jason mentioned. Um, Arcadia has been is really excited about this. It's a great idea. Um, We think it's really gonna activate this space along with the playground. Um, So we're really excited to see how this turns out. Um, As we move, this is kind of a feel of what you can get when you're in this park, the city bodega, the playground, maybe you're out picnicking. Um, It's just a really great rendering of how this will turn out. As we get to the northern part of the project, uh, we can look up at this gas easement, which I know we may have some concerns about. But so this area, this shows a cross-section of how the grade works there. It's a four-to-one slope from uh, the homes that are neighbors to us up to our homes um, the, the homes down there uh, don't have uh, a lot of visual uh, windows or rear views facing towards our uh, project. Um, we did want to be very considerate of them, though, and so we did want to provide this so that it's something that we can talk about. These are our street widths. We have... A, uh, this is our entry up top. We have an 18-foot entry lane with a 24-foot uh, left-right exit lane. Um, internal streets will be 27 feet wide, 28-foot back-to-back. Uh, and then number three here, the Paseo, this kind of shows you uh, with the structure how that area will work as you're walking through it. Number four, the Green Street. Uh, framed by trees as you're walking through. It's just a really beautiful pedestrian section that we're excited about. Um, Muse, uh, we call muses, what y'all may call muses alleys, so it gets a little confusing. Um, We have 30-foot wide clear zone from building to building and then a 16-foot wide pavement section, so it gives you a lot of space as you're traveling. The uh, clear zone for the alley section is 28 feet with a 12-foot pavement section. As we get into the setbacks of the homes, um, each home has the allowed encroachment, which is that area that we've been talking about where you can uh, build into. So you have these features that pop out of the home, and I have some examples of those because I'm a visual person, and I know it gets a little confusing as you're going through this. So... Uh, These are townhomes, five-foot setbacks in between buildings. The front setback is five feet, and then you can build three feet into that allowed encroachment. The casitas, the same front setback, so uh, five feet, you can build three feet into the front of that, and then you have your allowed uh, encroachment on the sides where you can build eight feet into. Um, The side setbacks are a little bit different here. You have your 3 7 splits, and then you can also have a 3 3 side setback. And this is so that when you're walking through the Paseo, you have the yard on the Paseo side rather than on the inside. These are the 50 by 110 foot uh, township homes. Um, eight foot allowed encroachment, uh, wraparound porches, bay windows, garden rooms. All those features we've been mentioning, um, the front build two line is five foot offset from the garage. So the forward enclosed portion of the home is set back five feet further than the garage. And then if you're to tack on a porch, which we encourage our builders to do, uh, you can get up to 13 feet from the face of the garage door. These are those uh, uh, secondary frontages, frontage lots that we call them. Um, These are all of the homes that are required to have the enhanced uh, uh, architectural styles that go into this zone. And this is an example for those of you that are confused on what I've been talking about this whole time. (laughs) Um, So the uh, porch wraps around here, and then you have the... uh, bay windows that come out into the encroachment this is a perfect example of how to use this setback and this is um, at our project thomas place in carrollton here's just a town home building that i really like uh, just a traditional style also at thomas place in carrollton this is more of a transitional style with the wraparound porch and i wish it was in the picture but there are bay windows on the side of this home as well these are the casitas this is what you could imagine as you're going through this community uh, the architect, the architectures or the elevations are uh, very different from one another and we love the variety that these give the community uh, neighborhood you have stacked porches and the low fence on the far right home is kind of what i'm talking about as you're walking through these pedestrian areas. This is just one of my favorite homes. Uh, I like the white and the gray, and then the door kind of pops it, so just something I wanted to put in there. Uh, Thomas Place again, uh, kind of how you can see how the uh, homes end up being on the block. Thomas Place. Uh, Jason kind of went through these, but uh, I'll touch on them a little bit. Uh, We have our stoop with the transom windows over the door. This is my favorite 50-foot that we're providing. Um, Split garage doors with the arbor going over the top of the garage. Um, I'm not crazy about this color, but I do like the sacked porches and the arbor over the garage as well as transom windows. And these other plans, I, I like them both as well but uh, I don't want to get redundant here and say some of the same things that Jason said. Um, This is a a style that we're adding to our private pattern book. This is something we've worked hand-in-hand with Jason on, and we're really appreciative of his collaboration on this and getting this to where it is. Uh, We will be providing a southwestern modern plan as well. Uh, Those are uh, options. And these are the locations that uh, this is a surprise to Jason because he hasn't seen this yet uh, of where those buildings could be. So, And that's all I have for my presentation. Um, thank you. And we're here to field questions.
0: All right. Thank you very much for the presentation. And we do have questions, I'm sure. I'll start on my left. Regarding Mr.
7: Brosh. Thank you, Mayor could you help me understand uh where uh, i'm seeing condos you know in in the the uh, photos and pictures uh but i'm not seeing where you would put them on here i'm seeing 30 40 50 foot lots
17: so we don't we haven't built those plans yet the style that are you mentioning the styles that we've added
7: uh just trying to figure out how i don't see an allowance for the uh uh, the initial uh, diagram that you have out here are it would have a place for yeah for like the uh, uh, row row houses there. Are you
17: wanting to know the location of where these will be, or I, I'm trying? Yes, okay. Um, let me let me skip back through here. So, the row homes are all of the uh, salmon colored, and if you're referring to the OK.
4: OK. You
0: yeah,
7: we'll follow-up, Mr. Brosh, you good? OK. Uh, just taking a look there, and then uh, as far as the 20-foot uh, lots, do you have anything to show representation of uh, 20 foot uh, width uh, structure? So
17: the townhomes are 25 feet wide. So if I said 20, I'm sorry, but no,
7: no. It just in the, uh, uh, the zoning document, says, the minimum document does, yeah, so so the says minimum 20 foot. Yeah. So the minimum
17: we're we're not You're building not to the minimum. To the That's just 20, zoning okay. to give us okay. tools to build to, but we're building
7: above. What our zoning is so. okay and did i understand then it's the uh, the side lots are three and seven yeah let me go back to that real quick so for
17: townhomes, there's a five foot split between the buildings but as you get to the single family detached those will have the three seven split um, or the 3-3, and the 3-3 is typically used on a open space because you want to flip the yard to the open space okay. side. Okay.
7: All right. I, I was wondering how that would work out. Very good. Okay. That's, that's all for right now. Yes, sir. All right. And go ahead, Ms. Short. Thank
0: you.
1: Are all of the products in this neighborhood for sale products? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And can you give us an idea of price point?
17: yes we can Um, this is obviously subject to change because by the time this is built out and everything it's it's three years from now so we hope it goes faster than that but town homes i would think they would be in the high threes to mid fours Um, casitas uh, mid 400s to around 550 and then the township homes would be from 550 to around 700.
1: okay and then i know um In in what we received, it talked about accessory dwelling units. What lots would be able to handle an accessory dwelling unit?
17: So that's more of an option, I believe, but uh, I would have to get back to you on that.
1: Okay. Um, And have you guys done any other projects in
0: Mansfield? Would you approach the mic, please, sir? Oh, I'm
18: sorry. It's okay. You're all right.
0: We just want to get you good and on, on yeah, record.
18: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, we did Woodlands Estates next door. That had to have been maybe 2003, 2004, right. and I think Ms. Bounds uh, may live there. Um, we did one uh, associated with Mansfield National Uh, way back also Um, we've been looking for a long time to get back into Mansfield so we're excited about this one
1: thank you
2: all righty on my right uh, go ahead Miss Bounds then mr. Lewis so I have a couple of questions about the trees because you know you built over in there you know that it's very dense uh, with a lot of trees over there so um, Roughly, uh, what are we looking at for the percentage of trees that may be removed in that area?
17: Uh, We will be
2: clear-cutting the site, so. Okay. Um, So, I have a quick question for um, Mr. Alexander.
17: Yes, ma'am.
2: Ma'am. So, we don't clear cut, from what I understand, and so what I'd like to know, uh, will we be sending Stevon out there to look at any heritage trees that we have out there, like we did the Dolce Vita area, uh, and perhaps maybe earmarking those so that they won't be um,
3: destroyed? We'll be sending Caleb Tandy out to visit to identify heritage trees
2: all right thank you and then for the applicant uh, along the northeast and the east boundaries of the property so just a good plat of that yeah. doesn't matter I want to see what the do- yeah right there that's fine so along that northeast and then the east areas um, what are we looking at for the trees along that line because you are going to have an elevation Difference And even though those people don't have a lot of windows on the backside, you do have, I believe, what is it, about a nine foot difference in the elevation there. And so what are we looking at for trees along that line and where that 50 foot um, gas pipeline is? Are y'all looking at saving all those trees so you're not gonna touch them? Or what does that look like?
17: We we can't with how the grade works through the site. this, it, yeah, I wish I could say something else, but the, it kind of is what it is, unfortunately.
2: All right, so on the east side as well, because I live right around that corner, right there on the edge, and I don't want to have to be looking up in the air at big two-story houses when we have some nice-looking trees there that we could save.
17: Yes, uh, I'm trying to—oh, I'm going the wrong way. So, yeah, it's, it's tough because it's in a gas easement, so we can't really plant into that gas easement. So, um, I mean, we're willing to work something out with you guys if you all have any recommendations. So. There's a lot
2: of trees along that area That anyway. So as far back as you all are looking at with uh, your little setbacks there on the other side of those fences, I guess they're going to be wrought iron so that they're see-through fences uh, that there may be some trees along that line that may not have to come down and then on the east side for sure because there's a lot of trees so north east and then along the east border here there's a lot so i would just be interesting in what is actually coming down and then i guess if um Jason has got, Mr. Alexander's got someone coming out there looking at our heritage trees that might take care of some of that. Okay. Okay, Um, and then just one other thing. Um, There's no representation except for what I just saw tonight for casitas. So can you flip and kind of let me see what those look like again? Because there were none in the packet. Uh, I believe there were plans provided in the packet. I, I could be wrong, but. Well, there's plans, but there's no actual what the house might look like. There's no inspirational concept, okay. I these, guess.
17: These are the elevations of the casitas. Uh, those are township, but these are casitas. Um, these are casitas as well. This is a casita. And these are also casitas.
2: So along the sides of those casinos, is there anything in the um, plans for not having quite so much um, space where there's no windows or anything like that? Because some of it looks kind of real plain and doesn't look – it looks kind of cheap to me, to be honest. So are you asking – more window I'm I'm asking do y'all allow for um, in your plans here that you have for those type homes where you have along the sides here like this yes ma'am do you have any plans that there's going to be a percentage of like different textures of materials so like maybe 30 percent brick or or stucco with uh, any of the uh, other materials because this doesn't, to me, this doesn't look very good. So your concern
17: is the number of windows along the side. Yes,
2: or or some kind of deviation from the project, okay. so that it breaks it up a little bit and it doesn't look like it's just all one plain right. side. Gotcha. I believe that is
17: probably on the interior part. So it's not facing the street, but I I still understand your concern completely. Uh, Along
3: along the thoroughfares and the open spaces, Council Member Bounds, if that is the direction of City Council, we can certainly work with the developer on addressing that to ensure that there is visual relief on the size and maybe that there are more enhanced architectural features that denote the importance of that corner view. Some of them have that, and they look pretty nice, but some do not,
2: and those are the ones I don't want to see in this project. Yeah, it's
17: always a battle with us trying to get our builders to add uh, more windows, so we can definitely work on that.
2: That's all I have for right now.
0: Thank you, ma'am. All right, Mr. Lewis. Thank you, Mayor. If you could
2: go
9: to just a general site plan would be fine. Um, Question on the township lots first. They're the ones on the perimeter. Um, I pulled up Thomas Place, you didn't do any of those type of lots at the Thomas Place That's correct. project. That's um, all alley loaded product. That's correct. Um, so with these, they're going to have front entry garages. Uh, I'm looking at the setback, and it's 15 feet um,
17: so on the township lots. Let me go to a setback. Yes, so the front setback to the forward enclosed portion of the building is fifteen feet. The and then twenty feet to the garage face, which is five feet from the forward enclosed portion of the home. And that's the lot
9: line starts at the sidewalk, not at the street, so you also still have the sidewalk. I'm just making sure that Larry's truck isn't gonna block the uh driveway. <laughs> <laughs> or blocks the sidewalk. <laughs>
8: but
17: yeah it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, so you're sorry restate just that. want to make sure it, somebody that
9: has a truck it, their their only parking option here is going to be in the front of the house you they can't this in the, the this is, garage yes they can park in the garage but they're not going to they're going to park in their driveway um so with that we if if it's a walkable <laughs> neighborhood we don't want truck beds blocking sidewalks so i just okay. want to make sure that there's enough clearance in, in the setback um, yes. so I saw P or I saw staff's recommendation and I just want to confirm that it is in here that on the township lots uh, that all of them will have a porch or a stoop in yes, there sir. that is in the PD document
17: yes sir
3: that is correct
9: okay was that added in since PNZ because I think that was a PNZ recommendation yes
3: I believe we that. that is uh, correct that okay and To clarify, Councilmember Lewis, what we were seeking as a department was to ensure that on the row house lots that they had some type of frontage. Right now, as the standards are currently written, a frontage isn't required, and that's what we were working with the developer on.
9: Okay, so we uh, will obviously want that as well added in. I was pleased to see that it was on the township uh, as a requirement. Can you go back to the site plan now? Sorry. Yes, sir. Um, So you've got a couple of park spaces. I actually really like the street network at 27 feet wide. Um, But if you live on the Paseo or on any of the areas where uh, that row of houses that kind of fronts that park in the northeast area, if I have a party or if I have friends over, I don't have a, any designated space for them to park. They're going to they're going to on-street park and walk to my house. But I don't really have a designated spot throughout uh, the development, do I?
17: I? I understand the concern. Uh so yes, it's uh parking on the street and then the town sh- townhomes have as you can see the minimum setbacks on the left-hand side of the page uh 17 feet nine feet or seven so say you're parked in your garage and you're having people over you do have space there for additional people to come park okay
9: and then we're talking about this city services building at the northeast park there so um could you consider what um maybe in some designated key places in for those neighbors that are going to buy homes along the paseo and then the park at the entry maybe there's um, brick pavers or some sort of different differentiator on one side of the street uh, that could designate that this is on street parking area um, so that we don't have the, the love 27 foot wide street the problem is you get eight feet on this side and eight feet on this side now we have an 11 foot drive space and so you know yesterday super bowl everybody had if six homeowners have a party here Um, and invite 10 people over we have 25 cars that we got to figure out what to do with and if you don't pre-designate where they're going to go they're going to fill that street on both sides of the street and then if we have an ems problem or anything like that it's going to be challenged so knowing that we're going to have some specific uh, maybe civic uses at that north park if there's a way to designate on-street parking and then leave other areas that are not on street or if you know, somebody just parks in front of their house, that's fine, but um, I think, particularly with one, two, three, four, five, you've got 40 some odd homes here that don't have any on street parking designated to them, so they're gonna bleed over to the others. So, having some way to differentiate that, I think, would be beneficial.
17: Okay, okay. We'll take that into consideration. Thank you. Thanks. All right,
0: anyone else to my right, my left? All right, I've got a question, and, and this is probably for staff regarding engineering. Good presentation, my friend. Thank you very much.
3: You.
0: Uh, Mr. Alexander, in regard to uh, the, that drop-off, the, the runoff uh, onto uh, Ravenwood, uh, just you know, talk a little bit about, about what that would look like in regard to, to the engineering to keep those people from getting flooded
3: out. So I'm going to do my best there, and I may have to yield to Mr. Kaufman a little bit on this. But as I recall, there have been conversations about regional detention for this area to address the drainage. And at the time of platting, those documents dealing with drainage and other engineering considerations will be required for the approval of that document. Okay. All right. Again, just...
0: Really concerned about that group because that drop off is just is just
2: straight down. So, all right. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead, Miss Bounds. I want to speak Excuse to me. that because uh, I remember when the city did come out and they built a retention area where that pond is, and then um, they also built like a concrete dam with some sections where water could flow on down through pen Branch. However. I personally uh, have video footage where it does flood there and it floods up into my backyard and it floods from that Creek so if you're looking at some of that draining into that immediate Creek right there um, that does overflow into the greenbelt and it overflows down that into some of our properties not so much because we just got out of the floodplain Area uh, when they when the city came out and built that, but there is still some issues with flooding in that area. That when Dolce Vita gets built, they're going to have to address as well. So I would highly uh, recommend that that get done and let us know what that looks like for the area. Okay, uh,
17: we do have our engineer here. I'm not as well versed. So if y'all do have any. Uh, specific engineering questions uh, well you know well
0: it it can be addressed of course at the second reading but but we do believe that is it is important that um, especially the neighborhood and the public knows that this is definitely uh, an area of sensitivity for us there so that's that's something that uh, you all may have to come back with okay thank you mr.
17: mayor
0: all right thank you very much
17: Mayor, I did have one. Yes, sir.
0: Go ahead, Mr. Lewis.
9: You reminded me. No, go ahead. Retaining walls. I'm not seeing anything in here as to height restrictions, but I know you've got a lot of grade changes. So, what is your tallest retaining wall on the property?
7: Brian,
0: please approach the mic if you have comments. Thank you so much.
9: The only thing I'm seeing in the actual code is on the last page. It says all retaining walls where visible from the thoroughfare or open space shall be constructed of brick or stone or faced with brick or stone veneer. Um, but there's no height to that. So do you have any scenario? You told me it's a five-story building differentials. you have any scenario where you have a 10-foot retaining wall?
10: There potentially would be a could be a height of a 10-foot wall, but it would be more facing the, the ISD property that that from that side so on the south side, south side excuse me yeah the, but I I don't have the plans with me and we could give you more detail at the second reading but there are some there are walls uh, there I just don't have the heights with you
9: you're you're cutting down at the school district's property right yeah you're going to cut down fairly substantial yes mm-hmm. and then
10: the walls will be on their backyards. But it'll yeah.
9: Be, yeah. They wouldn't actually, they'd probably put a fence on top of it, but for the most part, they're going to have a a brick wall as their backyard. Yes. Um, How does that impact this pedestrian access way that you marked on the site? The
10: the wall in that, the the center of the area is more of a consistent grade that goes through the site. I mean, the grades or issues are diagonal. So closer
9: to the fire station and the water tower is where that could be? Yes. Um, Will you have any other substantial walls? Built or most retaining walls, the three to four foot range that are for, like at the casita level where you had the stoops, I think those are fine. We just we've got a a a recent instance of 47 foot tall retaining walls. (laughs) (laughs) It's not really that tall, but
0: (laughs) we just yeah. But 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 if you could yeah yeah, just a little bit though just a little bit. But if but if you can bring that back again at the second reading that'll be great. That way we can all see. Exactly what we might be dealing with.
10: Okay. Yeah. Sorry, that. we didn't no, that's uh, fine. Just anticipate a, that question and yeah. anticipate the previous issue in the in the city, but we'll have that information for the next meeting. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Any other
0: questions for y'all You have one another set? Okay. All right. All right, hearing none seeing none. I will open our public hearing at seven uh, sixteen PM. Ms. Marin, do we have any cards? no cards all right I will continue the public hearing at 7 16 p.m. and call for a motion mayor yes sir make
9: a motion to approve subject to the row homes and townhomes also having the required architectural requirements like a porch or a stoop
0: yes sir mr. Lewis is there a second
1: I second. I know there were three items that staff asked that we add To the motion. Would Mr. Lewis consider amending his motion?
18: Will you
9: consider that, sir? Yes, I just don't know what the other three two were. Okay. So I'll let somebody else make a motion.
3: (laughs) The other two, Councilmember Lewis, deal with prohibiting the use of exterior insulated finishing systems, EFIS and vinyl. And that the detailed site plan identifies and depicts at least 25% of the total number of lots with front facing garages that would be split garages, i.e., the maximum width of a single garage door shall not exceed 12 feet. I'll make a motion as stated.
0: Happy day. And Mr. Brosh, I believe, is second that. I'll you You're such a nice man. Thank you very much. All right. Are there any questions, any more statements? Hearing none, please cast your votes. All right, and the motion carries 6-1. All right, moving right along to item 20, new business. And, council, let me remind you that this is our last item. Other items have already been covered during this particular meeting. This is a resolution. Item 24-5865, Resolution of the City Council of the City of Mansfield, Texas, authorizing the city manager or his designee to negotiate, finalize, and execute a consulting management and operations agreement with Rev Sports Management, LLC, finding that the meeting in which this resolution is passed is open to the public as required by law and declaring an effective date, Mr. Moore,
12: Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, Council. Good evening. So we're excited. Staff is uh, excited to present to you Rev Sports Management and FC Dallas here tonight, and we'll ask them to come up shortly to give a a brief presentation and uh, discuss a little bit about our partnership. What I wanted to do first is, is go back to May of 2023 when the voters voted to approve two propositions related to the EDC sales tax. Number one was to allow the use of that type A sales tax for type B uses, which gives the flexibility to bring in entertainment retail. And so that's what this sports and entertainment district harvest point was all about. Secondly, was the ability to use EDC sales tax for the purpose of a multi purpose professional sports stadium. So both of those propositions were approved by the voters. And over that last, uh, this last, Uh, 10 to 11 months, we've been working with various groups to move that project forward. In December, uh, we had uh, uh, an impromptu meeting uh, that was spurred by Georgie Zhang and her business partner, Jamie Adams, uh, to introduce us to REV. And we were very fortunate uh, to be able to join in a meeting very quickly and bring this relationship uh, to the mayor and council uh, for review. You gave us the green light to proceed with an MOU and to move this uh, agreement forward to bring Rev in as a partner with the city to provide uh, a world-class experience to the residents of Mansfield. And so with that, this agreement that we have as a resolution for tonight is not finalized, but the bulk of it is there as it was reflected in the MOU. Um, this resolution allows the city manager to negotiate, finalize, and execute this agreement. And so we'll work with Rev, if you approve this tonight, uh, to finalize that agreement and uh, get started right away. We've already started working with architects and construction folks, uh, so we're excited to, to move this process forward. So if there's any other questions for me, happy to, to answer those, but would love to turn it over to Madison Sanfilippo with Rev, to present uh, what she has.
0: All right, thank you. Counsel, any questions, Mr. Moore? All right, thank you, sir. We may proceed.
19: Thank you Mayor and thank you Council. It's good to see you all again. On behalf of Rev Entertainment um, I'm really excited to be here and officially make this public announcement. I also want to introduce Jimmy Smith who's the COO and CFO with FC Dallas, our great partners here. And also for Zang Adams, the crew in the back, uh, Georgie Zang has been instrumental in introducing us and taking what's only been two short months. We've made plenty of development. Um, I want to introduce Rev and for those that don't know, um, Rev Sports Management's the sister company of Rev Entertainment. So we run all operations for Globe Life Field and Choctaw Stadium. We're the official events arm of the Texas Rangers. And with that, our goal and purpose is to book the facilities outside of its main tenant. So outside of Globe Life Field, we have the Texas Rangers. In making sure 365 days a year, this venue is operational. Not just as a point of pride for sporting venues, but also for all of our other tenants and communities from graduations to proms to amateur sporting events and making sure those lights stay on throughout all of the different um, days of the year whenever baseball season isn't taking place. Um, With that, we have brought FC Dallas to the table. Whenever we talk about a soccer stadium, you can't talk about it without our partners over at FC Dallas. So very thrilled to have them join this agreement and be able to help book, um, you know, amateur and professional sporting events for the stadium. A little bit of background on Rev Sports Management in our division, what brought us to the table here. As we look at the model at Globe Life Field and at Choctaw Stadium, we began to see you know, the how essential it is to book these stadiums outside of its main tenant, as mentioned before. So we are taking the Rev Entertainment model and moving it to other municipalities around um, Texas and a few other states as well. This is a snapshot of a few other properties that we manage and run. Um, Noblesville Event Center is the future home of the Pacers G League team. It is about 12 months further developed than this project, so it's a a great stepping stone to see where, where we are and where we will be in the next year. La Moderna Field is just about 40 minutes down the road, operate that venue. Um, and up at the top are just a few of our sports partners, so um, Cleburne Railroaders and Allen Americans are both independent teams here in the Metroplex. So that is personally what's really exciting about this project, one of the many reasons. i not getting on an airplane. It's right here 30 minutes down from mm-hmm. our headquarters uh, with several of our staff who you've met uh, call Mansfield home. Um, a little bit of snapshot, whenever I talk about events, what exactly are those events? So we have, um, you know, we work with promoters, we work with Live Nation, we work with AEG. We're really big into rodeo, which is going to play a key factor here in Mansfield at the Mansfield Stadium. But what we saw whenever you looked at the last three years in Rev's growth was how do you book the venue instead of waiting for those promoters to call, which is where we started creating these owned properties. So a few of those that you see here, um, you know, working with the colleges, working with some of the youth and amateur um, sporting teams in the area and across the United States. But if we are actually the promoter, then we know we have our college baseball tournament booked out through 2029 at Globe Life Field. We're creating many versions of that throughout ballparks. And so doing the same thing here and knowing we are going to host the championships and we are going to host marquee games alongside our tenant, but we also are going to create the Mansfield pride in these tournaments that are specific to Mansfield. Again, a little bit about the types of events. I already went over the owned properties. Corporate events, that's going to be really key in a state-of-the-art venue like this with the not only the exterior field and the stands that we all know it, which could host various community events alongside sporting events, but also the club spaces will be multi-purpose spaces as well, and whether it is a, a realtor luncheon or a convention coming to town, making sure there could be a different event on the field than there is in the club, and making as many spaces as as possible flexible so we can host a wide variety of those corporate events and again the major events um, so looking at comedy shows or festivals and um, public events that we do work with those promoters as mentioned before high school football we think will also be key here um, it would be being in texas it would be a, a miss if we did not include that in here as well And uh, real quickly, a scope of what our involvement is. So we are part of the table now so we can consult and with the architecture team and the construction team and understand what the venue needs from um, the operator standpoint, looking at how many clubhouses will be essential, what club spaces can we maximize, and making sure whenever we open in 2026, which we're very excited to open, I'll point to Jimmy, uh, 2026 will be a very key year in terms of soccer for the area, but making sure that we are looking ahead and we understand if we were to host lacrosse or we were to host rugby, do we have all the depths correctly or all the dimensions correctly. If we were to host a um, collegiate tournament, are the standards met? Um, And those are constantly evolving and changing. So our um, role really starts today with the design and the um, construction consultant. From there, we move into the event calendar and booking, which is the bread and butter of Rev Entertainment and Rev Sports Management. So making sure that uh, the lights are on um, as much as possible is really core, and I know that that was important from Council as well, and it's important for us as well. Um, Working with sponsors and partners, starting with naming rights and working with others in the community, name the club spaces, um, and start really to get some of the key title sponsors in here will be upcoming. Another piece that I want to point out is the community involvement. Um, getting, I was really interested to be here as part of Mansfield Cares and understand their commitment to the community. Mm-hmm. We run um, projects and community projects along with all of our venues and making sure that our staff have set goals and that we are part of the community and people know that they don't just come for events, but we are out in the community as well and help raise awareness. So with that, that is the scope of Rev Sports Management, and thank you all.
0: Thank you very much. All right, Council, are there uh, any questions? This is quite exciting. It's quite a, we're really jumping up and down in our bodies. I just want you to know. But uh, there, there are there any questions, uh, statements to my right, to my left? All right, we're all beaming. Great. So look we forward. are very
19: excited to formally announce this and have it all public, so appreciate you
0: all. We are too. Looking forward to a great partnership. Thank you all very much. All right, all right, council. As I mentioned, this is a uh, resolution. And I am calling for a motion.
1: Move to approve. Thank Second.
0: You, Ms. Short and Ms. Bounds, the two ladies go on record mm-hmm.
19: <laughs>
0: for all eternity. Yeah. All right, questions? Hearing none. And the motion carries seven. Zero motion to adjourn. There we go. All right. That was mr. Newsom and Mr. Lewis in it And the motion carries 7-0 all right 728 is when we will adjourn Y'all have a good